This, this is going to be the last healing school in this building. We're not going to do any more here at Justin. We put it on our website and everything. We're going to stop uh, doing the healing schools except once a month. We're going to just do one a month. We're going to do them over in Dallas until we get uh, a building built. Uh, this, when I bought this two acres of land here and built this building, gave it to my son, I also bought eight acres of land right behind it. And we have that paid for now. And uh, now I'm fixing to take the money that the Lord gives us, and I'm going to build probably a, oh, probably a five or 6,000-foot building. Not going to build a great big one, but probably five or 6,000. Know, this is only about 2,000 in here, in this room here, so it'll be about three times, two or three times bigger than this. But uh, right, right back here, a little further back, on this eight acres, until I get that building built, uh, we're not going to have any more healing schools out here. But when I do get that building built uh, and get it where we can have a road back there and everything, y'all come on in, praise the Lord, come in, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Good to have y'all today. Y'all just come right on in. Well, then we will start doing all of our work from this new building. Our, our ministry center, some of you know you've been to our ministry center over in uh, just a five miles from here. That's where we make all these tapes. That's where we uh, have all this stuff, all of our equipment. That's where we have our ministry rooms. And uh, we have people being ministered to over there today. Uh, my associate pastor and his wife and my wife are over there ministering to uh, some people over there today. And uh, we, uh, high, we highly utilize uh, that place. But uh, we're going to build this building over here and uh, we'll be able to set it up as a church and uh, keep it as a church. And, and I guess when I do get it done, I think, at least unless the Lord tells me something that's supposed to be done different, uh, I'm going to move my entire ministry uh, out here to this building, and we probably won't have any more Dallas operation. We'll, we're, we've been working out of a warehouse in Dallas, you know, for five years. And uh, so... At least at this point, I plan, you know, uh, I could have, you know, paid a pretty good junk on this building over here for what I what I spend on the rent and the warehouse over there in Dallas. But, you know, it costs money wherever you are. So anyway, we're going, our plans are, unless the Lord changes my mind, we're going to build a building back here. Uh, like I said, about 6,000 square foot, I guess, unless we come up with something different. And when we get that built, which it may take us six or eight months, I don't know. But when we do get that built and get it done, that's where everything will be. All the healing schools will be done back there. You know, all the church services, all the Bible studies, everything will be back there. We're going to do everything out here from Justin. And we'll have nothing in Dallas when that does take place. Now, how long that's going to be, I don't know. And if the Lord tells me to do something different, I'm going to do whatever the king says. You know, that's, uh, I do not, because if I know if I don't do what he says, then he's not going to answer my prayer. You know, and if I don't, if I don't get my prayers answered, well, I don't see him do nothing. Because I can't do nothing without the king. But with the king, nothing's impossible. So, you know, people that come to be healed, there's never been one been healed by me. You know, they've, I, I get to pray the prayer of faith and he does the rest. And I'm grateful for every prayer he has answered for everyone that he's answered. But he's the king and we're his children. And uh, in my studies, 
uh, I've learned a lot about God in the last few years. But anyway, now that we've said all that, we're almost 120, we're really going to start the healing school now. <laughs> well, I just thought you'd know what's going to be happening in the future, that next month there will not be a healing school here in Justin, but there will be one in Dallas the second Saturday, and they will all be there the second Saturday of every month until further notice, which may be six or eight months, I don't know. But Father, we thank you, Lord, one more time for the great and awesome privilege to be your children. We thank you for what Jesus did for us on that cross 2,000 years ago. The wonderful things that you've given us in your word. And we are so grateful for this book. And we're grateful, Lord, that as big and thick as this book is, that it doesn't have revisions. That it stays the same forever. It has never changed. Lord, I thank you that I don't have to keep up with the revisions like I do in all other books of the world. Anything that's technical data today, I have to keep up with the revisions almost daily. But Lord, thank you that you never change your word. You leave it the same. Once I learn what a certain section says, it's there forever. And Lord, thank you that I don't have to relearn it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us. And Father, as you speak through us and through me and through your word today to your people, all of us, me included, I ask you to give us revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of your mighty word so that we may be the kind of children you want us to be. So we'll walk holy in your presence. So you'll be able to keep the devourer, the devil, the enemy from us so that he will not be able to torment us. And Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for those great and awesome promises in your word and for your wonderful blessings that you've blessed us with. Thank you, Father, for the great things you'll do today. Now, Lord, I ask you to be merciful to every one of us today and anybody that came here with a need. Lord, if you meet that need and those that come just to learn, may you increase our ability May you increase our wisdom and knowledge. You said if any man lacks wisdom, let him come and ask you, and you will not turn us away. So, Lord, we are all of us, including myself for sure. I am seeking more wisdom from your word, more knowledge and understanding of who you are in a deeper way. We want to know you. We want to be obedient to your word. We want to do what you say so we can walk the abundant life that you have provided. And I praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nothing like serving Jesus, is there? Nothing like serving Jesus. Well, <clears throat> welcome to the Healing School, the fourth Saturday of the month in Justin, Texas. I think today's the, what, 26th, 7th? Today's the 27th. Uh, we're going to, so why I say that, sometimes we go back and have to look at one. Somebody says, what date did you do this one? We've got that down pretty pat now, you know, but used to whenever uh, I was doing everything by myself, and for several years I did everything by myself. I set up the hidden schools, I made the media, I brought it, I did everything, I made all the duplication, I done all the mailing, I did everything, but uh, yeah, it's kind of beyond that now. I, I certainly can't do that anymore. Uh, I can only go back and think whenever I was just one little lone guy and making a tape and sending one out every once in a while, you know, and now I think of, wow, the people it takes in our ministry to, we, we are sending out 
pre- and post-paid, somewhere in the neighborhood of at least 10,000 CDs, DVDs, or cassettes a week. A week. I would have never dreamed that would have ever happened. That's beyond my wildest dreams. Only God could take an old guy that had worked in the workforce and, and allow him to see the miracles that I've seen him do. I mean, it's just, it's beyond my wildest dreams. But now I realize the king just said, be obedient. Do what I say. Then he says, ask me for anything and I'll do it. I've come to realize that people don't believe that. You know, we really don't believe it. I mean, uh, I mean, I had a nice long talk with a gentleman that's a great man of God this week, earlier this week. And, uh, I mean, he studied the Word. But when we talked about, you know, he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church and a teacher of God's Word. And uh, he said, what do you teach? And I said, well, I teach the Word, <laughs> all of it. I said, uh, God's given me a unique ministry, and it's teach people what makes them sick and how to get well. Well, he said, what makes us sick? And I said, sin. And no way. He ain't buying that. You know, no way. I said, well, sir, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I, I challenge you to get into work. And, of course, immediately he come to Job. He said, Job was blameless, and he was sick. I said, you hadn't read Job very well. I said, when you read Job and it's detail it and let God speak to you out of it, you'll find out that Job had multiple sins, and that's why he had the problems he had. I said, yeah, he, he lived in fear. I mean, he lived in pride, and it's all written in the Word of God. And I said, but Job was a great man. And, uh, but I said, you know, he, his, his righteousness exceeded probably what anybody I know, you know, today on the face of the earth. I said, he was a very righteous man. And uh, I said, but uh, today the only reason I can walk where I walk is because of the blood of Jesus. I've realized what the blood has done and that when I get my sins repented of and I walk in faith now, that's a secret, when you walk in faith of what the Word of God says, and then you have to realize that every time the enemy comes to you, the enemy comes to put us to the test. But you have to realize why he's coming. He's coming because God sent him. You know, And that's something that people have such a problem believing, that God would send the devil to put you to the test. Well, let me ask you this question. How many of you all believe that God is in control of everything that goes on? You do believe anything on this earth happens that God don't know? No, he's in control. He is the CEO of the universe. And nothing catches the king by surprise. He knows what he's doing. You know, and then, of course, he makes us multiple promises. Now, I'm going to start out in the old covenant under the old law. And I want to start out and, and hit a few of the high points today of Psalms 91. I want us to go back under the law. Is there anybody in here got Psalms 91 committed to memory? Hey, here's a man up here that does. Praise God. It's a great... See, I know a lot of people have had it committed to memory, but when they commit it to memory, they still don't believe it. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? How you can read something and don't believe what it says. Now, this is really something. 
I want us to just think about what this is saying in Psalms 91. Now, this, we have to read the Word and read the Word and pray over the Word. And somebody said, no, Thurman, you read. I read it. I said, okay. That's like this great, extremely intelligent friend of mine that's got a, I forget now what, he's, he's got so many degrees from universities up in the Northeast. I don't even know how many degrees he's got anymore. But I enticed him one time to read the New Testament. I said, Thurman, I'm a Southern Baptist. I don't need I read it. I said, no, no, no. You need to read at least the New Testament. You and your wife. I said, sit down and read it from Matthew to Revelation. Well, about a year later, he come on and said, hey, we did what you said. I've been reading the Bible every night. My wife and I led his wife to Christ a few years ago. And so he said, we've been reading the Bible. And said, it is very interesting. You've got some great things in there. But now I've read it. I said, well, great. What did you think about? And I asked him a question about something. He said, that was in the Bible? I said, yeah. He said, no, I didn't see that. It wasn't in mine. I said, well, you got it there handy? He said, well, I can go get it. He went and got it. We turned back to a place, and we opened it up and read. I said, this is what it's going to say. And I quoted it to him. He said, no, 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 I read it. Thurman didn't say that. I said, okay. So I went back over there and read it, and guess what? It was there, and it said, I said, well, and what do you think about so-and-so? And I went to another place. He said, what? Where'd you read that? Well, I told him where to go, and he went. After about three or four of these, I said, I thought you read this. He said, I thought I did too. See? So you see how easy it is to read the Bible and then don't know nothing about it. So let me tell you, I didn't learn those things through in one time. In fact, I can remember, I can remember when I was standing in faith for Caitlin's miracle of her throat. My grandbaby had a valve disconnected in her throat in a car accident, and the doctor said that that flapper valve could not be fixed. Well, let me tell you, I know the Word of God can fix that thing. You know, and so I told him, no problem, it'll work. Well, whenever I took that verse, in fact, we'll hold your finger in Psalms 91, and go to Mark 11:24, and I want you to look at Mark 11:24, and I want you to see what the king said you and I, as obedient children, can do if we believe. Mark 11:24, just one little simple verse. Now, I knew this. I had it committed to memory. I mean, I had this verse. I mean, I had used it. I'd read it. I'd studied it in Mark eleven twenty four. Now, this was now this wasn't some fly by night cowboy that made this statement. This is the King of the Universe when he was here in the flesh. He made this statement. This is him talking personally. He says in Mark eleven twenty four, whatever you desire. Does it say that? When you pray, believe you have received it, and maybe you'll have it. Oh, that's not what he said. What did he say I could have? And you shall have it. Okay, so if I'm one of God's children, and I'm walking in obedience, in other words, Daddy, God, if you're the child, and he's Daddy, and Daddy says, Son, I want you to mow the yard for me. And you look daddy right now and say, you old fool, I ain't going to mow that blankety blank yard for you. If you want that stupid thing mowed, you go do it yourself. Oh, but dad, I need 50 bucks to go down and have some fun with my friends this afternoon. Oh, you think God's any smarter than you and me? <laughs> you believe he is? So if God says, study my words, show yourself approved unto me. 
He says, go to church. He says, tithe. He says, walk in love. He says, do all them things. And you don't do none of that stuff. You just go to church when it feels good. You go to the lake the rest of the time. And one of your brothers or sisters does something to you. And you say, I hate that old boy. Did you hear how that old boy talks to me? You know what she did to me last night? I'm telling that woman. I mean, you know, that woman. Can you believe what she said to me? And you're just talking evil. You know, old Susie over here, my lands, that old, that old witch. I wouldn't do nothing for that old girl. And you're supposed to be a son of God. And here you are talking all this trash and this nonsense. You walk in this morning, somebody says, how do you feel today? Oh, I feel awful. Let me tell you how many medications I'm on. Jesus said, Jesus said, under the new covenant, by my stripes, you are healed. Amen. So why do we confess everything wrong? Well, if it's God's will, he'll heal me. You know, maybe if it's his will. But see, we, we haven't read the word, so we don't know what his will is. So when we don't do it his way, we think, well, I know God can heal. I know maybe he will heal. But if you don't know what his will is and stand by faith, he clearly says in his word, he won't do nothing for you. Well, what did Mark eleven twenty four say that I could have? Whatever I desire. When I pray, believe I have received it, and it's mine, right? That's what the king said. Okay, I knew that verse. My granddaughter's valve was separated in her throat. They had checked it down at Cook's Medical Center. It don't work. So the doctor told me, he said, don't you put anything in her mouth, no water, no food, no nothing, because if you do, it's going to run into her lungs, and it'll kill her. So they put a plug in her tummy. Went in and cut a little hole in it, put this little thing in there and pinched it in there some way. And now it's got a little, a little flapper on it. I unplugged that little thing and put a little pump in there, and I pumped liquid into her stomach three times a day to feed her. You know, this is all the normal way of going down. Don't get no taste of nothing, no more, no nothing. You just pump liquid food. I go home, take that verse. Father, in the name of Jesus, what do you say I could ask for? Whatever I desire. Well, what is my desire? My grandbaby's vow to work in her throat. That's my desire. He said, when you pray, believe. So I said, Father, on Mark eleven twenty four, I want to thank you and praise you. That Caitlin's valve worked perfect. And I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. And time come time to feed her, I went and got the machine, plugged it in, pumped the fluid in there. I mean, but that's what we do. Yes. You know, because so, we got an appointment two months down the road to go back to the doctor. So I praise him and thank him every day. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mark eleven twenty four said, whatever I desire, and I desire the vow, work in my grandbaby's throat. Thank you, Lord, that it's done in the name of Jesus. Feed her at noon, feed her at night, next day. I do this for two months. Thanking him every day, Lord, it's working. Put the food in her, feed her. Two months later, go to the doctor. Doctor checks it. It don't work. I said, it can't be. The Word says. The Word is forever settled in heaven. Amen. It cannot be broken. He exalts his word above all of his names. Now, wait a minute. Something wrong with this picture. If all that's true, something wrong. God's supposed to heal her, right? You would have thought he would. His word said it. Can God lie? So, where's the problem? With God? The problem with me. But you'd say, what did you do wrong? I thought, I didn't do nothing wrong. Okay, it wasn't God's will to do it right this month. So I'm going to ask again. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to thank him. I'm going to say, Father, you said whatever I desire. I desire for my grandbaby's valve work in her throat. I want to thank you, Lord, that it's working. It's done in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. It's done. And I feed her again. And at noon, I feed her. And at night, I feed her. 
And I praise him all the time. Lord, thank you that valve works. Oh, Lord, thank you. Somebody says, what's wrong with her? I said, well, that valve's not working in the throat, but it's going to work in the name of Jesus. But I feed her. Two months later, we go back to the doctor. He said, it's just like it was. I said, Lord, what is wrong? Well, we do this 10 months. At the 10th month, I take her back in, and that doctor checks it, and this time he says, it ain't never going to work. He said, that valve is just as dead as it was day one. said, that valve ain't never going to work. I said, Doc, I do not receive that curse. Now, see, he's trying to speak a curse on me. He don't even know what a curse is. He's just going by what he sees, and that's where we live. We live by what we, our five physical senses. We live by what we see, smell, taste, hear, so far, feel everything. We, we go by all these five physical senses because we do not train ourselves in the spirit world. So after 10 months, I come back. Ask me a question. Yes, sir. I won't embarrass you. Oh, nothing. Why did you let the doctors perform an operation on her after you told her, told her not to operate on her? They did never operate on her, sir. My grandbaby never was operated on. Well, they have to have an operation in order to drill a hole. Oh, they, they put that little plug in her stomach. That plug in, that is an operation. Uh, okay, if you want to call it that. All they did was just punch a little thing. It's a little button that's sharp, and it punched a hole right through her stomach. You didn't tell them to do that, did you? No, I didn't tell them to do it. They did it without my knowing it. I didn't know it was even there till we got ready to go home. I didn't know that how, I didn't know they were feeding her intravenously. They didn't tell me that. Okay, that's, that's what the whole thing was. Yeah, but it will, I mean, that, when we got ready to go home after the accident happened, you know, we got her out of ICU, uh, no surgeries, nothing. Not, they didn't want to do a surgery on Caitlin. I mean, she's impossible. She can't live. I mean, from day one, they said, there's no way this little girl's going to live. There's no way. I mean, her face is all to pieces, her brain stem severed, her eyes are jerked out of her brain, her skull scratched in five places, all the bones around her face all crushed. Face is swelled twice the size, her little face all lacerated and cut all to pieces, her lungs are crushed, her right knee's crushed, her left leg's broken in two places. They said, it's over. She's dead. Ain't no way she can live. Now, I'm going to tell you, you've got to have faith to step into a situation like that and start saying, God, it's done. But I, I would already come from that to being able to take her home, you know, whenever the doctor, and we don't understand how she's lived, but I've stood on the word. I mean, I don't care when the doctor tells me that ninth day, he said, I don't know how this little girl's lived these last nine days. But he said, I just done a second MRI on her this morning, and there's absolutely nothing attached to her brain. I said, nothing. He said, nothing. I said, you mean a brain stem severed? He said, it's severed. I said, how about her eyes? He said, no, they're jerked out too. He said, I'm telling you, there's nothing attached to her brain. She cannot live. I said, sir, she cannot die. Because God made me promises in his word. I said, in John 15, 7, Jesus said, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask me what you will and I will do it for you. Did the king make that statement? Well, now, how many people do you know that believe that? If my words remain in you and you remain in me, then you can ask me anything you want to and I will do it. So if you're doing everything this book says you're supposed to be doing, then you can ask the king for what? 
anything. What does he promise to do when you ask in faith? No, no wavering. He don't, he don't like wavering. I mean, I don't like for somebody to come to me and say, Thurman, will you go with me to town and pick up my car this afternoon? I said, sure. And so then it, he said, I'll be over there at 1 o'clock. And at 1 o'clock, he don't show up. I'm sitting there waiting on him. And at 2 o'clock, he don't show up. So I finally called him. I said, I thought you was coming at 1. He said, oh, I figured you didn't want to go anyway. I didn't figure you'd go with me anyway. I said, well, don't ask me to go with you no more. And how would you like people to treat you like that? You don't like that? You planned your day to do what your friend asked you to do. And then he has no faith that you're going to do what you said you was going to do. So, I, you know, if you did that a few times to a guy, next time he said, will you go to town to get my car? After about three or four times, he said, no, I got something else to do. I ain't going to sit out there and wait on him. No, when he ain't coming, no way. I mean, are you, are you people just like I am? Would you do the same thing? After three or four times you got burned, you're going to think, well, they don't mean what they say. They ain't no use me to say, yeah, I'm going to go with you to get it because you know they ain't going to show up no way. Well, see, that's what happens when we ask God for something and we say, now, Lord, you said in your word. He said, that's right. I said that. I told you you could ask for anything. But then your confession has to agree with the word. Well, if somebody says, oh, where are you going this afternoon? Well, I'm going to Dallas, pick up a car. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, Thurman's going to go with me. And he's going to drive it back for me. You think he will? Oh, yeah. Well, what makes you think he's going to? Because he's a man of integrity. He told me he'd be waiting over at 1 o'clock. I'm going to be there at 1. He's going to be there. Ain't no doubt in my mind. He said he's going to be there. I'm going to pick him up at the field house right at the front door at 1 o'clock. You come bounce there and honk the horn. I go running out. I jump in there. We go. That's two men of integrity, right? Next time you have something to do, you say, Thurman, can you go to uh, New Mexico with me and pick up a car? He said, sure, no problem. What time do you want to leave? Oh, we're going to leave at 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon. We're going to drive out there, pick up that car, and drive back Sunday. Can you go with me? Absolutely, I can go with you. Pulls up in front of that door at 1 o'clock, honks that horn. Who's he expect to come running out? Me. If I'm a man of integrity, I told him I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there, right? Yeah. Well, see, now, when you got a friend you can depend on like that, you got one in this book. But what if he come to pick me up and he honked the horn and I ain't there? I'm not there. And he's got everything planned to go to New Mexico. Got people waiting and everything else in line. And everything's based around me going with him, which I said I'd go. And he gets here at 1 o'clock or 5 minutes till 1. And I'm not here. And he waits till 1.30, 2, 3. And I don't ever show up. He tries to get me on the cell phone. And I got it turned off. I'm at home in the bed to sleep. You know. Who cares about him? So what happened? He finally gets a hold of him and says, hey, you ruined my whole day. I wanted to go out there and get this car. Now I ain't going to make it. Well, he's probably going to think twice before he asks me to go again. He might give me one more chance down the line. One day he might say, well, let me try Thurman again. He calls me and says, sure, no problem. I'll be happy to go with you. Well, I want to go to Oklahoma City this time. Okay, no problem. When you'll do? Thursday afternoon. I need to drive up there Thursday afternoon. We got some dealings up there. We'll spend a night up there and we'll drive back the next morning. How's that sound? I said, no problem. He said, in fact, they even got a really, really nice restaurant up there. And I'm going to take you out and buy you dinner while we're up there. You know, they cost $20 a steak for a steak, but I want to buy you a good one. You know, really buy you an expensive steak while we're up there. Okay, I'll go. So he comes down here at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm supposed to be here and I ain't here. I ain't here. 
He waits two hours, and I never show up. Tries to call me, can't get me. Somebody said, well, I don't know where he's at, but I saw him about 30 minutes ago over here in, in uh, Fort Worth. What's he doing down there? Somebody's going to be here. Well, I don't know, but he ain't here. Okay, next time you want to go somewhere and pick up your car, who are you not going to call? He ain't going to call me. Now you've been burned twice. That's enough for anybody, right? He's not a man of integrity. He, ain't, he does not do what he says he's going to do. So forget it. You're going to find you a new friend. Is that right? If we live our lives like that, what do you think it must be when we ask God to do something? When he promised to do it in his word. He promised to do it in his word. And then we ask him, and somebody says, what do you think about your granddaughter? Oh, but her brain stem severed, sir. She can't live. I said, no, no. Jesus said. But, sir, look at her. I don't care about what I see. Right. Yeah, I don't care if her face tore all to pieces. You know, I don't care if the brain stem severed. Jesus said he made this body. He put it together. Didn't he say that? Right. Didn't the king say, I said, and your body no, no, he, and the world, came, but the body, he just went down to dust and did a little listen. And we became this magnificent thing we are. If it's that easy for him to make one, and then after he looked at that thing and said, hmm, I made a male and a female for everything, but I didn't make a companion for my man. So let me do first surgery on him. And he put him to sleep, opens up his side, first surgery, no medication, takes out a little piece and forms a beautiful woman. Closes him back up and ain't even a scar. Then he says, Adam, wake up. He says, this is your mate now. I can only imagine what Adam said. Wow, look at this. Bone of my bone. But boy, she looks different than me. Woo, look at her. Isn't this awesome? And the Lord said, yes, she's your mate. And in, I mean, just a little while later, the Lord comes back to the garden and says, Adam, where are you? And he's hiding. He said, Adam, what's wrong? What'd you do? He said, Lord, it's that woman that you gave me. She's a culprit. We ain't changed a bit, have we, ma'am? Not a bit. Not a bit. When I do something wrong, I'll give you all an example about my honey bunny here. Well, I'm back. I've been praying for her over lots of things. And usually they happen instantly. Here a while back then she had some little things grow up, come up on her face. And she wanted me to pray with them. I did. And they didn't go away that day. And I, next morning she's in there doing her face. And she, honey, get in here. She said, look at these things. They're not gone. So I prayed over them again. After about the third day, she says, where have you sinned? Hey, how come it's my sin? What about yours? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's my fault. Well, they didn't come up on me. They come up on her. She never thought about her sin, maybe breaking them up on her. But I can't get them off, so guess whose problem it is, Sharon? It's your fault. I mean, isn't that amazing? So, I, honey, you ever think maybe you need to repent? <laughs> and so we both begin to repent and continue to stay in faith. And it didn't take but a few more days. They were all gone. But see, now, we had to stay in faith. Right. And that's the secret, staying in faith, believing that if God says, in the order he says, I am the God, in Psalms 103, I am the God that forgives all of your iniquities. And then I am the God that heals 
all of your diseases. Is that what he said? Okay, now if he said that, can he lie? So then why don't we trust him? It's amazing, isn't it? So you see the order he put it in? I'm the God that forgives how many of your sins? Which means you've got to go in the order he put it in there, right? You don't come to God and ask him for healing until you're taking care of the first part. See? So if you come over here and say, no, God, I need to be healed. He said, oh, okay, but you've got all this sin in your life that brought this on you. In other words, you've been a disobedient daughter or a disobedient son. You've done all these things, but Lord, I have not sinned. Hey, we don't know what sin is. You know, we really don't know what sin is. I mean, I live there a big portion of my life living in the church not knowing that anything I do that's not of faith is sin. So there's no telling how many times I broke God's rules and I didn't even know. Did the king say go to church? Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis? So if he says that, then why isn't every child of God in church? I mean, Wednesday night Bible study? You know, Tuesday night Bible study? Sunday morning worship? Sunday morning Bible study if we have one? Sunday afternoon if we have it? Sunday night if we have it? Why are we not in church most of the time? Unless something, you know what, you know what the attendance of a, of a good Christian should be in church? 99.9% of the time, you ought to be in that Lord's house when the door's open. You know how many Christians you know that do that? I don't know any. You know, I, we, we don't do what he says. So if, if it wasn't for grace and mercy, guess what it'd be, guess what he'd do to every one of us? It'd be over. He'd have took you all, if he wasn't gracious and merciful, there wouldn't be a single one of us in this room be alive today. We'd already all be dead. But that's the grace that he's given us. And I'm grateful for that grace. You know, I'm grateful for that grace. And I'm under that grace. If I wasn't, man, he'd have swatted me out the back door a long time ago. I think when you're raising your children, you know, you tell your children to do something and they don't do it the first time, you may not just swat them the first time. You may give them grace. You know? But you say, hey, I told you to do this and I mean business. And so if you go through and so you tell her, tell you tell your daughter to clean her room. This seems to be a real sticky point, you know. So I know that everybody's daughter in the world except mine was a perfectly clean girl that never left anything laid out or nothing. Yeah, y'all's got y'all had daughters just like I did, didn't you? I could go up and my daughter when she was a young teenager especially, I could walk in her room and it would be spotless. I mean, the carpet's perfect. The bed's made. Everything's perfect. And that's why I won't like to see it. It's perfect. And she could get up in the morning. And, I mean, that evening when she go to bed, that's the way it is. The next morning she'd get out of her bed and put on something. And she's going somewhere to school. And she'd think, I don't like that outfit. And so she tries on another one and another one. And about the fifth or sixth one, she thinks she likes this, and she looks up, and it's 10 minutes till time for class. And so she runs downstairs and gets in her car and go. And I go up and look, and you know what that room looked like just come through it? A hurricane. Y'all know where I'm coming from? You've seen them look like that? Everything she tried on was over here, over yonder, you know. I mean, didn't close up nothing that's on the counter in the bathroom where she opened makeup to put this on, left it open. 
you know, everything. Didn't wipe off the water where she washed her face, water all over the top of the counter. Hey, what's wrong? Daddy likes the place clean. She gets home that afternoon and says, honey, you've got to clean your room. Well, Daddy, I've got to go out with some friends. No, you're going upstairs and clean that room. Well, when I spoke, and usually if I said that the first time, because she had learned when she was a little girl, when Daddy tells her to do something, he meant business. When she was little, I would tell her up to three times. If she didn't do it on the third time, I would say, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. But come over here, and I'm going to take my belt, and I'm going to give you three good licks on your backside that I hope you remember forever. And I'd give her three good licks. Now, did I enjoy that? No. It hurt me to spank that little girl. But it didn't take very many times. But finally, when she got to be that 16-year-old girl, when I would come in, and if I did go to her room and it looked like a bomb had went off, when she comes and says, honey, the first thing you got to do is your room's got to be immaculate. Okay, Dad. And then she's up there, and I mean, in 15 minutes, she could have everything picked up, hung up, and bed made and clean. And I'd walk in. She said, well, if she'd come downstairs and said, Dad, I've got to go somewhere, I said, the room, she said, Dad, it's perfect. I didn't have to go look. I knew it was perfect because she knew I meant business. Now, see, this is the way God is with you and me. He is capable of anything, anything. But he's made you and me under this new covenant of grace that we live in. Wonderful statements. Go to church regularly. Tithe. Walk in love. Do everything I tell you to do. And how many of us are obedient children? Kathy, she says she's trying to be. The rest of us did. <laughs> she's working. And you're trying too, okay? Well, if it comes when it says trying, I'm going to hold up my hand too. I, I wasn't going to say I'm obedient and everything, but I will hold it up when I say I'm trying. But we all know how many times we've missed a mark. 100%. No, there ain't nobody ever done it. So if we wasn't living under this wonderful grace, how many of us would be alive then? Nobody. Now, we're grateful for, Lord, we are so grateful for your grace. Amen. And because, oh, man, if it wasn't for that grace. But do you know, God, that grace kind of runs out once in a while? You know, when you break his rules once, twice, three times, four times, five years, ten years, all of a sudden one day says, I've had it. I've had it. You know, I've given you ten years or five years. Some people don't give that long. Depends on where you're walking. And he may only give you one shot. If you're walking in obedience to his word and you've walked for five years or 10 years or 30 years and you're walking in obedience to his word and then all of a sudden one day you know something's wrong. You know you ain't supposed to. You know you ain't supposed to come over here and tell this girl how mean she is. God told you to love her. And you come over here and you grab her by the nap of the neck and you slap her three times in the face and say, I don't like you. And somebody said, and you're a Christian? You did that to that little girl? Woo! Now, the grace of God, guess what might happen to me? If I'm walking in the gifts of the Spirit and I do something like that, and I know that's wrong, and I do that, you know what God's going to do to me? I don't know what he's going to do, but I don't want to know either. But I better live in sheer terror. Because he said, if I know the truth and I treat her like that, he said, there's no more sacrifice for that sin left, only a fiery wrath of my punishment to come upon you. 
That's Hebrews 10, 26 and 7 and 8. After you have known the truth. If you know the truth. Did he say that in his word? Do you think he means it? Oh, if there's anything that don't have any revisions, it's this book, isn't it, ma'am? So we know God tells us to walk in love. We know he tells us to go to church. And we've read it. Go to church regularly. And then you say, oh, well, God, I know you don't really care if I go or not, so I ain't going. I went for the last 10 years now, then I'm just going to retire and go out and take my motor home, and I'm going to run around. Of course, I don't have a motor home. I'm just saying that. But if I had a motor home, I'm just going to take my motor home. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. I'm going to have fun. What are you going to do with me, son? Oh, God, I'll, once in a while, if I have time, I'll read about you. You know. Now, you know what he said to do. You know, he said to go to church. On Sunday morning, you're driving down the road. And the Holy Spirit says, there's a nice church. You could stop over there and talk to me a little. Well, but Lord, we're going to be, we're going to be late to the lake, you know. We can't get there if we, do, if we stop over here and go to church. Besides that, we don't know these people up here. Hey, if they're children of God, you're supposed to, they're, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. If there's any place you ought to feel comfortable with, you ought to be able to stop anywhere in church and feel comfortable with those people if they're children of God. You ought to walk in, shaking hands with them, say, hey, sister, hey, brother, how are you doing this morning? Isn't that the way it should be? Sure, that's the way we're supposed to be. We're all children of God. You're not supposed to walk in and hide in the back. Nobody to see you. You're supposed to walk in and make yourself at home. That's your daddy's house. When you come home, you're supposed to feel good at daddy's house. And all of those houses are supposed to be his. When we walk in, make ourselves at home. You know, just come right in praising the king. You know, come in with your hands raised like he says. Say, hey, praise God, any Christians here today? I come to worship Jesus today. And you'll find out what they're made out of. <laughs> they come over, welcome you, and shake your head, and say, praise God, welcome to our house today. They say, everybody kind of shuns you and walks away. You better walk down the street and find you another one. Well, they, the king, did the king say, come into my house with your hands raised? Did he say, come into my house praising me? Yes. You know, singing psalms one to another? Did the king say those things? Well, don't you think if the king said it, it, it pleases him if we do what he says? Okay, if we don't do what he says, what do you think it does? This definitely doesn't please him. That's right. Well, I don't want to walk in that church and say anything. I might offend somebody. Well, if that's the attitude you're coming in here with, we've got a problem to start off with. We need to worship and praise the king together, realizing he's our daddy. So anyway, as we are obedient and do what the Lord says, you know, it's amazing that I come back to this story of Caitlin now, that's got this valve that don't work, and I'm taking Mark 11:24, and I'm standing, and the promise that's in there, he says, oh, I know what it is. God, it's not God's will for that to be yes for me today. It's not God's will, Thurman. You've stood on it. You know God answers prayer. Sometimes yes, sometimes maybe, and sometimes no. I mean, have you ever heard that statement? Man, I've heard it a lot. You know, in fact, I've probably been guilty of teaching that a few times back in the years when I didn't know the difference. Until one day, I came upon 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Anybody know what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says? Well, that Harry over here, he's going, oh, his brother back here, Brother Ed, he knows. What's that say, Brother Ed? Wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. That, that brother can't be right. 
Can he? If he said all the promises of God are yes and amen, he must have been reading it right out of the Bible. But see, you know what you That can't be right. You know God don't say yes to all of his promises all the time. Oh, his, oh, his word says he does. In other words, Brother Ed read it right. Apparently he did. Apparently he did. So then why in the world would I be the kind of guy to say, but you know, it's got not God's will to say yes to his promises every time. Obviously, I don't know what the Bible says, right? I haven't read it right. I have been misinformed with the Word of God. Because Brother Ed said, his Bible said, all the promises of God are yes and amen every time. So then, if all of God's promises are yes and amen to his obedient children. Now see, that's, all, that's, that's, a, that's a little part of the Word of God that we've missed. All the way back from the very beginning. I mean, you go back to the Old Testament and over and over and over. He said, if you obey me. Didn't he, brother? If, just like this son of yours. If he obeys, what do you do for that boy? Anything in the world. But if he's that kid that says, oh, you old fool, you go mow the grass yourself, you want it mowed. Then what are you going to do with that boy? Whoa. He, he ain't going to be happy. <laughs> You're going to make his life a little bit miserable, aren't you, Dad? <laughs> oh, a little bit. <laughs> brother. Yes, Second Corinthians. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if all, God just says in his word that all the promises are yes and amen. And, of course, when you go back to the New Testament, to Mark, like, for instance, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, where he says in Matthew 10, 1, he gave his disciples, he, he commanded them to go out and preach the gospel, to heal the sick, Cleanse the lepers and raise the dead and cast out demons. He commanded them to do that. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, well, this is what he commanded his disciples to do. But then when you go over to Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, now, you go out and teach them to do all these things that I have commanded you to do. And so all these promises in Matthew 28, 20, somebody might turn over there while we're right here. Somebody return to Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20, and see what the Lord told us to do. Let me, in fact, let me go over there, too, with you. I, I have it committed to memory, but still it would be better. If, absolutely. In fact, if we don't personalize the Scripture, He is a faith God, and if you don't put your name in there and personalize it, then you, the enemy will no doubt deceive us and say, those things were for them, and they're not for you. And that's, where, that's how the enemy deceives us and beats up on us so bad, because in Matthew 28, let me go over there to Matthew 28, and let's see what the Lord says here. Matthew 28, in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Amen. Now, how much power is given to the king? All. Now, he is now the CEO of the universe. Is this right? If he has all power, then what does that mean? How much power does he have? I mean, he's in total control of the universe, right? Amen. In heaven and on earth. So nothing's going to happen unless the CEO says, do it, okay? 
I mean, if you believe that, right. if he is the CEO of the universe and all power is given to him, he has just, by what he's just done, he has just defeated the devil and his forces of darkness, hasn't he? Yeah. So now that he's in charge, he's the boss. Now he walks through heavens and he walks on this earth. He walks in hell. He walks anywhere he wants to go. There ain't nothing on this earth happens. The devil can't do one thing. He can't even bat an eyelash unless he has authority from Jesus. Is that true? All power is given to Jesus in heaven and earth. He is the CEO of the universe. I mean, that's the way I read that. I don't know any other way to interpret all power. Yeah, he's doing all that. And why is he doing all that? Because when he stands before the king, he says, Jesus, he said, do you know that all these people on this place, he's just, he, he knows everything we do. He says, look at all these people up here. In fact, let's personalize this. The devil comes and says, Lord, look at Thurman. He's sitting here and here and here. And he knows everything I do where I miss the mark with God. He knows everything. I mean, he's watching me. He's got a set of uh, uh, demons that are assigned to me that God knows these critters are watching me. He's got a couple of, two or three angels God has that he's assigned to watch over me and protect me. The word says so. So my angels are watching over me. As long as I'm walking in obedience to the word, these demons cannot get through to me, but they're right there watching me. One of them tries to reach through and get me. One day the Lord slapped his hand and said, no, you can't touch him. You can't touch him. He's not disobeying me. He's my son. You can't touch him. Keep your hands away from him. And if the Lord tells the devil to keep his hands off you, guess what? He's going to keep his hands off because guess who's in control? Jesus is. Right. The king of the universe is in control. So, but the, the, the devil, he stands before the Lord and says, now look at all these sins that all these people are committing. you got sins, even the nation, they're not serving you. I mean, just look what they've just done and the... The United States of America has just given, has enticed the, the Israeli government to give away more land. You know, every time that happens, you can look. I mean to tell you, every time we get mixed up in these kind of things, some kind of disaster hits this country. I mean, you can, you can put it, you can go back and look at days after we make these kind of decisions. Days, we have a devastating thing come up on. The Lord says, anybody that will bless my nation Israel. Oh, what did he say, brother? Oh, it must have, we must have interpreted it be cursed or something, right? But you read what it said. It says, anybody that bless my people Israel, I will bless them. He said that, didn't he, brother? He says, if you curse them, who's going to curse us? God God is. He said it. So if we say, well, we're not going to help Israel no more. We're going to entice them to give the land away to other people. God said, I told you to bless them. I told you to send them money over to help to build them up. I didn't tell you to tell them to give away the land. We said, well, that's okay, God. We're not going to go by what you say. We're going to entice them to give it away to the Muslims, to that foreign God they serve over there. He said, well, okay. That's what you're going to do. The devil says, ah, see there, they messed up. Now I've got legal right to do something. And see, now, this is something that really gets us. The devil says, well, I think I'll just wipe out the whole southern coast of the United States with a hurricane. I put a big one in there. 
They remember God, they really messed up. He said, okay, go ahead. Uh, is he in control? Is all power in heaven and earth belong to the king? Uh, he's in control. Why didn't somebody pray and say, Well, I think probably some of them are. I think that there's people, in fact, I had many a testimony in my church down there of people that were people of God that really knew who their God was. And, in fact, I think about this one couple we prayed for when this thing come to Houston and everybody was leaving Houston, this one family, uh, my wife's, uh, her, some of her family, they were older and they said, we ain't leaving. We ain't leaving. So they called us at the minister center and said, would y'all pray the prayer protection for my mother and dad, which they're not leaving. They say they ain't going. And so would you please pray? So we did. We stood in faith. We prayed the prayer of faith. And all kinds of houses around them sustained significant damage. But guess what happened to their house? Not one thing. See, now, we have that kind of power. Why didn't you wipe the whole thing out? Because those people, he has legal right to them. I can't cover all of those people's sins. I can only cover a certain amount of it. In other words, you can stand in faith. In other words, you go back to the scripture and you find where it says, you go back in, it's in Ezekiel, and I don't remember the verse now, but I was reading that here a while back, where as I was reading several uh, chapters, the Lord was, was it Ezekiel? Was it Ezekiel? Anyway, I can't, I think it was Ezekiel. Maybe it's Jeremiah. I don't remember for sure. Anyway, it says, if Job and Daniel and Noah were here, their righteousness could save them, but no one else. Because of the, the, the wickedness, what they've done, he says, in fact, Job's righteousness could not even save his own children. He said it would save him, but it wouldn't save his children. In other words, he still had enough sin in his life that even Job and his righteousness could not have saved his children. But God says his righteousness and his holiness would save him and him alone. That's kind of scary, isn't it? When you, sit, when you read this book, when you sit down and read this book, I don't know what we've done. I don't know what we do. We do not read this book. You know, when you go and sit down and read this book, first of all, somebody says, well, the devil's after me. Well, let me tell you, the devil's after you because you've done something you ain't supposed to be doing. You know, but people don't want to hear that either. And when you say, well, the devil, he's the one who'll send a demon into you. I can't have a demon. I'm a Christian. Well, I don't care who you are. If you're a Christian or anybody else, you sin, you're going to open the door to a devil, and he's going to come in, and he's going to torment you. He's going to make you sick, or he's going to afflict you, or he's going to put sickness and disease upon you, or he's going to destroy your children. You know, just like here a while back, I had a, a, a man... I had, and his wife had a little daughter, and this daughter was having all kinds of problems. I mean, all kinds of problems. I'm talking about a little girl. I mean, well, I say wife. Really, it wasn't his wife, a man and the woman he was living with, and they had a little tiny girl, and she was dying. She hadn't lived long enough to sin. Now then, has anybody in here ever heard the story that the God that we serve that says all power is given to him, he says, you do not want to have any fornication in your body if you're my child. You've read that somewhere? What do you think no fornication means? 
no adultery. I hate adultery. I mean, so here a young girl and a young boy moves in together, and she says she's a Christian, and she's going to a Baptist church, and he's out of church, and he don't even know what he is, but they're living together. You think if they're living together and they brought a baby into the world, you think they're having sex? Last time I checked, you don't bring babies into the world unless you've had sex, right? Right. You know, that's the way it works. Now, did God say no sex between a man and a woman is not married? He said, if you do that, then you have a baby into the world. I'll not only, under the old law, he said, I'll not only curse you and that child, but I'll curse every generation for ten generations. Is that scary? And we wonder why we've got the problem we got. You may be the fifth or sixth generation. You don't know why you got all the problems you got. It was because your great, 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 great granddaddy moved in with some girl, had sex, and brought a baby into the world five generations back, and you don't even know who he was. But God knows who he was, and he knows that devil knows who it was. And he knows he has a legal right to you, so this little girl's dying. You know? I mean, she's not live long enough. You go in and you tell them, hey, Y'all can't do this. I mean, you say you're a Christian. Well, yeah, I go to church. What kind of church you go to? A Baptist church? Have you ever heard that sex outside of wedlock is wrong? Well, yeah, I've heard that, you know, but I mean, but you know, Thurman, the television, everybody's doing it. I say, hey, you can't go by what the world does. Right. You got to live your life as a Christian based around the Word of God. God. Jesus said, if you defile your temple with sexual immorality, I will destroy your body. We don't believe that either. But it's in that book. Yes. We read that and we don't believe that. So we get sick and afflicted and we think, oh, well, here's my little daughter laying here dying. And why? You know, I used to ask that question. Why does one family have babies and they're all healthy, run and play, and live to be 70, 80, 90 years old? Why does the next one, almost every child has something wrong with them? Or at least every other one or something. There's got to be a reason for this. Well, here's this little girl dying. Here's this little girl. She's a Christian. She goes to the Baptist church and says, boy, he don't go to no kind of church. They're living together. And they brought a baby girl into the world. And now she's dying. That doctor says she ain't going to live. I get that, we get that mother to repent and move out. And prayed after the girl repented and moved out. And we prayed the prayer of faith over the baby. Guess what happened to the baby? It got healed. A few years later, the little baby is still doing well. Yeah. Just like the night that I was down at Cook's Medical Center, and this little girl comes in screaming, and I asked her what's wrong, and she said, my baby's just been shot. And the doctor said me he's not going to live. I said, how old is he? She said, six. I said, well, honey, I'll pray for you. And I said, God will heal your baby if you'll do what he says. I said, are you a Christian? Yes. Do you go to church? Well, some. Well, now, first of all, he didn't tell you to go to church something if you're a Christian. He said, be in church regular. Didn't that what he said? Right. Well, see, she's already breaking the rules of God. But if it wasn't for his grace, you know, now how long had he been giving her grace? Who knows? You know, maybe years. But here, finally, it caught up with her. You think it was an accident? You think that little child getting shot in the back in the park in Dallas was a surprise to God? No, he knew it. He knew it. Why did the devil, why could he send somebody to do that to that child? Because of sin, because of disobedience. 
He had legal right to her because she was not walking in obedience. She was not going to church very much. The guy she lived with wasn't going to church at all. And here she is having sex with this boy and brought a baby into the world. And this baby's six years old. And here she is now pregnant again. And that night when I saw her, I said, well, I said, I've got to ask you some questions before I pray for you, for your baby. She said, why? I said, well, I see you're pregnant. But she said, well, what's that got to do with it? I said, well, maybe nothing and maybe everything. I said, that baby in your womb? I said, was it in wedlock or out of wedlock that that baby was conceived? Well, she said, well, out of wedlock. I'm living with a man. I said, well, that's your problem. I said, if you say you're a daughter of the king and you've got a baby in your womb and you're, you're pregnant and that baby was not conceived in wedlock, that's what's opened the door and that's why your six-year-old son got shot in the park in Dallas. And I said, if you don't repent and change your wicked ways, I'm going to tell you that boy, yours is going to die. She had a hard time with that. I told her, I said, you want your baby to live or die? She said, I want him to live. I said, then you've got to repent. You've got to tell God you're sorry for what you've done. I said, he'll forgive you. Now, if it wasn't for this grace, she's got a baby in her womb that's been brought in to a man that's not married to her. If God didn't give us grace and forgive us, all of us would be dead. But he's gracious when you repent. Will he forgive you? Yep. But you've got to change. You can't go back tonight and move back in with that boy. You've got to move out. And so she promised God she would do that. I told her, I said, he's the healer, not me. I said, but you've got to repent of your sin, and you've got to tell him you're sorry, and you've got to uh, promise God you'll move out. And so she promised. She said, what if I don't? I said, simple, your, your six-year-old's going to die. But I said, if you repent, I can pray for him, and God will heal him. So she repented. Was God there standing there watching this whole scene? Yes. You think he's off out in heaven, this whole thing caught him by surprise? The king of the universe that all power in heaven and earth is given to him? No, he knows what's going on. Ain't nothing catches the king by surprise. Nothing. You've got to realize that. He's God. He's in control. Right. So she repented. She asked him to forgive her. He was standing there, and I can just see him now, in his golden girdle and white gown, his white hair. I can just see him there as his little daughter was saying, Lord, Father, I ask you to forgive me. I can just see him put his arm around her and say, oh, I forgive you. I've been wanting to forgive you. But you wouldn't ask. I told you in my word you're not supposed to do that, but you wouldn't believe me. So she repented. She said, Lord, forgive me. I will move out, and I will never do this again. Can you see that arm, Sharon, as he puts it around that little girl and say, honey, I love you, and that's what I wanted you to do. I didn't want this to happen to you, but you're the one who opened the door. You were disobedient. She repented, and she promised him she'd move out. Now then, I've got her sins repented of. Now then, I'm the God that forgives how many of your iniquities? Boy, is that grace or is that grace? I'm telling you, I'm very grateful for that grace. So we walk in, and I'll ask that nurse sitting there in Cook's Medical Center. There's this little boy stretched out, six years old. I asked the young woman there at the head of the, the foot of the bed. I said, honey, is the boy going to live or die? She said, I can't tell you nothing. I said, I'm the pastor. I come to pray for this boy. I said, so you can't tell me nothing. I know how the rules are. But I said, I want you just to either nod your head, yes or no. Do you think this boy is going to live? I'll tell you something on it. She's a nurse. He ain't going to live. I walked around, laid my hands on him, 
And this girl sitting at the foot of the bed, her mother standing beside the bed. I said, you devil of hell. According to Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, Jesus told me that these signs shall follow those that believe. I can cast a devil out and lay hands on them and they'll get sick. Get well. I said, Lord, I command this demon of hell that's in this boy. is killing this body. He done it through this bullet. It shot him in the back. I command that devil to leave him. And I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to be gracious and merciful to your word. When you said, if I lay hands on him, you'll heal him. I said, Lord, thank you for healing this boy. That's all I did. I didn't do a lot of long, dedicated praying. I just spoke the word. And then I got up and heard the walk out, and I told that woman sitting there at the end of the bed, I said, guarantee that boy will get well. Now, do you have faith when you make that kind of a statement? Do you believe the word? Yes, I believe the word. I walked out of that room. I went back to Caitlin's room, and as uh, I forget now what day of the week that was, but anyway, two or three days later, that girl, that same girl was over in Caitlin's room. She walked in that night to be Caitlin's nurse to check her out. She walked to me. She said, sir, I don't understand you. I said, what do you mean? She said, I knew that boy was going to die that night. There was no way he could have lived. But she said, within 30 minutes after you left that room, all of his vital signs changed. She said, within an hour, he was out of danger. She said, the next day, we took him out of ICU and put him in a recovery room upstairs. She said, in another week, that boy will go home. She said, God hears your prayers. Well, let me tell you, when you do it his way, he always hears our prayers. But you know, if you don't do it his way, he's daddy, right? If you repent of the sin, and then you do something in faith, and you believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do, what's your confession going to be? This boy's going to live. Right. Did I get the girl to repent of her sins? Yeah. What if she'd have walked in crying and said, oh, I got a baby in here's dying? I said, oh, honey, worry. Let me go and pray for him. Now, why is he in there? Because of mama's sin. See, we don't seem to associate that. So what if you go in as a pastor, hospital chaplain, or anything else, and here we got these sins, and they're not dealt with. And we go in and say, oh, God, be merciful to this boy healing. Now, what can God do? If you go in there in bold faith, and you're walking totally in obedience to God's word, he says, you can ask me for anything, and I'll do it for you. You, if you're walking in that place with God, you may go in there, and you say, Lord, according to John 20, 23, I forgive this boy's sins. Did God say you could do that? He did, didn't he? You know what we haven't believed? We haven't believed that we could do what he said we can do. Somebody said, me be able to forgive sin? Well, all I know is Jesus said, if you forgive their sins, they're forgiven. If you retain their sins, they're retained. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand that. But every time I'd ask somebody about that, they'd say, oh, no, you can't forgive sin. I said, but the Word said I can. Well, but that's not what he meant. Only God can forgive sin. Well, first of all, who is in me? God. Yeah, Jesus is in me. He's in you. So if he's in you, then you're in him. Can you forgive sin out of your mouth as you speak it? Who's speaking? God. 
So, Lord, be merciful to this boy. And if you are walking totally in obedience to his word, and you walk up and you say, Lord, I forgive this boy's sins. I forgive his mother's sins. I ask you to be merciful to forgive all of them. Now, Lord, I'm going to touch him. I'm going to ask you to be gracious and merciful and heal him. If you're walking in total obedience to God's word, you know what he'll do to that child? He'll heal him. That's right. He'll heal him. But you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. You know, you walk out, somebody says, well, you went and prayed for that baby. What do you think? Well, I sure hope God's listening. Oh, but that's what we do. Yeah, you're right. That's what we do. I mean, when I went down to Corpus in 99, and that woman I walk here is a woman of God. She'd been to church. Her and her husband go to church. She is in the last days of terminal cancer, of breast cancer. And I walked in, and I said, ma'am, what's your condition? She said, well, I'm a Christian, and I, the doctor said, I've got terminal cancer. I'm going to die this week. But she said, I know Jesus is going to heal me. I said, no, ma'am. He ain't going to heal you. She said, what? I said, no. I'm going to show you today that it's sin, your unbelief that's brought this upon you. And I'm going to show you what God says. I'm going to show you it's the devil that's doing it to you. And I'm going to show you if you get rid of every sin and you believe God, we can kick that devil out and you can get healed. And after five hours of intensive teaching, a woman, a Baptist woman in her mid-50s with her husband about the same age, after actually about three hours of teaching, her husband said, I can't believe I had this book in my hand all these years and didn't know all these things. That's what's wrong with us, right? When you read it, when you quote them the word, and they open their Bible, and they read it and says, my goodness, that's what it says. Now then, we got a problem, don't we? We have to obey. Well, they obeyed that day. After five hours, Judy and her husband repented. I went when I when I went over when I asked that woman after five hours of teaching. I said, "Ma'am, are you ready to receive your healing from the Lord now? It's already done." She repented. Said, "Lord, I'm so sorry for all those sins. I'm sorry that I didn't believe your word." Lord, I repent of all those things. I'm going to walk holy in obedience to your word. And I believe it's done now. When he anoints me with oil and drives this devil out, this devil's going to leave and I'm going to be healed right now in the name of Jesus. It's done. I went over and cast that demon out of her. Anointed her with oil, prayed the prayer of faith. I said, well, i got to go. And I had to go catch an airplane to come back to Dallas. She said, well, I'm going to go with my husband to take you. I said, okay. So that's faith. You know, she got up. Out of that chair, she walked gently down those stairs with a handrail. We helped her. Got her out in the car. Got out to the airport. I said, I, it's a long way to the terminal. So I said, I know. I'll see y'all later. She said, oh, no. We're walking you to the gate. <laughs> now, you know, I just said, oh, that's okay. I know you're weak and you can't do this. I said, no. If you want to walk me to the gate, get out of that car and let's go. She said, I'm healed. Jesus has done it. She gets out of that car. And that woman walks all the way to the end of the terminal. That's back in the days when you didn't have security and all that junk. You could go all the way out there. And I start, got on an airplane and they're standing there in the window waving me off. And then after they got ready to leave, I didn't know this for a few days. But as she got ready to leave, they went walked back out and got in that car. She said, honey, I hadn't had a bite to eat in three weeks. A devil had blocked up her intestine because of her sins. She had repented of all of them. She said, now it's done. Jesus has healed me. That devil's gone. Stop right down the under that restaurant. They got the best fried shrimp dinners in town. I'm going to have one tonight. She stopped and had a fried shrimp dinner. And that was Saturday night. And Sunday morning, she called me. Actually, I think it was Sunday afternoon after church when I got home when she called. She said, Thurman, 
I want you to know, on the way home last night, we stopped, I had a fried shrimp dinner, and she said, I woke up this morning, everything in my body worked perfect. You know what that means, don't you? <laughs> All the stuff inside it went right through like it's supposed to. Everything worked perfect. And that woman, six months later, I saw pictures of her. When the lady here that asked me to pay my airplane ticket to go down there and pray for her, whenever she brought me some pictures, she said, Thurman, look at these. Walked to my Sunday school class one Sunday morning. I looked at this guy. I said, oh, I know that guy. I said, but that beautiful woman standing by his side, who is she? I see she weighed 80 pounds when I was down there. Six months later, she's up to about 120 pounds, beautiful, smiling from ear to ear. I said, well, that's Judy. I said, yeah, I knew who it was. But I said, she don't look today like she did then. See? Now then, what if she hadn't got a hold of somebody that knew the word? She'd been dead in a few days. It'd been all over. When you get to where you believe the word, Jesus made you these awesome statements, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. How much power has the king got? All of them. He's the boss, right? right? Nothing catches the king by surprise. He's everywhere. Then he gives us a command. So you go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And a lot of people, a lot of churches teach that. And that's good. The Baptist Church I was a member with for years, they teach that religiously. We are to go into all nations. We send missionaries all over the world. But we don't teach them the next verse. The next verse is still in there. And the same king's still talking. Right. He didn't stop. And he says, and then teach them the new converts, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth, or the end of the age, or the end of the world. Now then, he's told us, all the new converts, to go and teach these things to all the new disciples, commanding them to do the same things he had commanded his disciples to do. In Matthew 10, 1, what did he command his disciples to do? Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. I mean, now then, we don't believe that. I mean, I, I mean the average, I mean, not only just Christian in church, but it's so unfortunate, the average preacher today. I went to a church here a while back, and I started talking about demons, and at the break, he'd come to me and said, you need to slack off on this demon stuff. I said, what do you mean? He said, man, you might make the devil mad. He might attack us. <laughs> I mean, see, he didn't have a clue who the devil was. Well, unfortunate. I mean, I used to be the same way. You know, I didn't know nothing about the devil. I mean, I used to think where it says the devil goes around this earth like a roaring lion devouring whom he may. I thought the devil just run up to me one day and said, oh, there's old Thurman. I'm going to get him today. I'm going to kill him. I just lived in fear. Thinking, I hope the devil, let me, let me not talk about him. Let me stay over here. Cause I, I don't want that beast to find me because he might come by and kill me. He knows where you are. He's got a demon, at least one, that's following right along beside you all the time. He knows everything you're doing. But the king knows where you are too. And he's got a wonderful angel walking right along beside you. As long as you're doing what the king says, that devil can't touch you. But one day the Lord says, oh, let's see. Now, Thurman has messed up a few times now. So I've got to let the enemy do something to him 
to bring him to a new level. He's complacent. Yeah, he's reading my word, but, you know, he's kind of stagnant, you know. But I've got something bigger for him to do. And without some trials and tests, he ain't never going to go back to the Word and really read it in detail. He's happy right where he is. Happy right where he is. In other words, he's got a car out there, and it's got an odometer in it, and it's got a gas gauge, and it's got an amp meter, and it's got a gas gauge on it, and that's all he knows about that car. He goes out in the morning, he cranks it up, and oil pressure comes up, which he don't ever look at anyway. But anyway, it comes up. He needs to learn uh, those gauges are on there for a reason. He's got a temperature gauge, but he don't ever look at it. I want him to start paying attention to detail. So one day a hose breaks on my car. I'm driving down the road, and here's the temperature gauge going plumb up there, bing, bing, bing. You know, it's just flopping all over the place. I mean, this car's hot. Steam starts coming out of my hood. I said, I wonder what that stuff is. Never done that before. Oh, well, it'll be okay. Let me just keep driving. I drive another mile or two, and all of a sudden, this car ain't got much power left. And I kind of start to glide off to the side road about that time. It totally quits running. And I said, well, let's just see if it'll... I tried to hit starter, and it started don't work. I thought, well, now, what's wrong with this thing? So I get a mechanic out there, and he comes out, and he says, good grief, you broke a hose, and you melted it down, and you locked it up. Oh, well, just fix it. Okay, he said, no problem, I can fix it. What's it going to cost me? Oh, about $3,500. $3,500? He said, yeah, if you'd have watched the temperature gauge the minute it started going up, you'd have pulled off and shut it off. It'd cost you $15 to fix it. Let me tell you, when I get that car fixed next time, and maybe you ought to explain the rest of them gauges to me. Y'all see where I'm coming from? Next time that gauge, that I mean, I'm watching that temperature gauge, I'm driving down the road, I'm looking down, and I look down at the temperature gauge. Look, that gas gauge, I always knew, I found out real quick, if it goes down empty, I have to walk. But I put gas in it, and it's not that expensive. But the oil pressure, now, what happens if that oil pressure gauge don't work? Oh, so, I mean, if it starts going down, I'm better cut it off right now. It can't get to the tail. I mean, I've got to stop it right now. Oh, okay. So, okay, what if I'm disobedient? And I said, well, it's only three miles to town. All pressure goes to zero. It's only three miles to town. I can surely make it. You're going to be walking anyway. You may get to ride another mile. $3,500. Here's a man that knows. $3,500 more dollars. So now then we've done this twice, once with, a tip, once with a water hose, the next time we've done it with the oil pressure. And both times it was out of warranty. So I had to pick up the bill both after this. I'm watching the oil pressure gauge. I'm watching the temperature gauge. I'm watching the speedometer. Oh, the speedometer? Who, who's worried about a speedometer? You know, so I just drive wherever I feel comfortable. You know, all the rest of the traffic's flowing. I'm just going with the traffic. They're going 80 today. But the speed's only 60. Oh, I'm driving along here talking to my friend. I'm, I'm with the traffic, you know. We go ripping down the road, and all of a sudden, all these lights are flashing all around me. I don't know what that guy wants. So we pull off to the side road. He says, let me see your driver's license insurance. Okay, here's my driver's license, but insurance? I see. Oh, I forgot to buy insurance. You don't have no insurance? No, not no insurance. But the minute he comes back up and said, you know, you were driving 80 in a 60-mile zone. Oh, well. I'm sorry, sir. I'll try to do better next time. He said, okay. 
here's a ticket, 20 miles an hour over the speed, and no insurance. And so I said, okay, no problem. And so I called the judge when I get home, and I said, how much is it going to cost? He said, well, that ticket's going to be $400 for the driving 20 mile an hour over the speed limit, and the insurance is $500. I said, what? It wouldn't have cost me but $200 to buy insurance. He said, well, you should have thought about that before you broke the law. Now, see, this is the same way the principles work in the kingdom. As long as you obey the law, if, I, if I'd have been paying attention to business and driving 60, what would have happened? Would that policeman stop me? No, nope, wouldn't have stopped me. And if I didn't have the insurance, I wouldn't have had no problem And until something else happened. Somebody run into me or something. But if I had the insurance, which I'm supposed to have, and then if a guy bumps into me somewhere someday, and I'm there, and the police officer, can I see your driver's Yes, sir. Can I see your insurance? Yes, sir. Okay, it's not your fault. Okay, it's no problem. We, you're okay. No problem. But if I'm paying attention to the temperature gauge, and it starts going up, then I pull off and stop and say I got a hose out there leaking. No problem. I just cut it off and call a mechanic, 15 bucks, and he puts a new hose and fills up water, and we're gone again. Or if an oil line broke somewhere, and oil's going down, I pull off. Whoa, that oil pressure, go, it's going down. Ooh, let me pull off and cut that thing off. Call the guy, and he comes out, cranks it up, says, whoop, whoa, turn it right off. You got a hose leaking right there. Let me go get you a new one, put it on there, fills up with oil, said, you're set to go. Cost me another 15 or 20 or $30. I don't know, that's a little different than 3500 for a new engine, isn't it? Now, see, if you pay attention to business, you're going to have a few little complications in life, right? But they'll teach you things. Now, I don't like those big, expensive, you know, tests. So after I put an engine in because of one water hose, $3,500, and another one, two or three years later, 3500 because I didn't watch the oil pressure, you can be assured I'm going to watch the temperature and that oil pressure more often. Or if I got that high-dollar ticket, you know, especially if I went speeding through a school zone about 60 miles an hour, that was 20. I mean, I can only imagine what that ticket would be, couldn't you? After you paid that, you get to where you pay attention driving down the road. Well, let me tell you, this is the same way it is in the kingdom. If we read this book and we obey these principles, then the Lord sends his angels and gives him charge over us, and he makes these promises that we can do under this new covenant. He says that if we'll be obedient and walk in obedience to his word and do what he says, we will be able to lay hands on the sick. We'll be able to get them healed. We will be able to cast out demons. And we will be able to do these great and mighty things. I mean, doesn't he, Sharon? And there's a girl that's done it. I mean, she's lived there. She's seen it happen. But let's go back now to Psalms 91 and see what happens when we obey. And this is where I love to walk. And this is where I want to be able to walk. And then we're going to keep on. We're not going to lose that place, Mark 11:24 either. We're not going to forget either one of these stories because we're in the middle of two of these things here now. But it says, he, in Psalm 91, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, we read that and we don't realize that it means what it says. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God. What does that mean? If it says dwell in the secret place of the Most High God, what does it mean to dwell in the secret place of the Most High? 
Well, let me tell you, give you an example that you can understand. This last week, I had to go out of town. And I had to go out to a training school for a new system on an airplane. We've just bought an airplane that we're going to use in the ministry. It's a small one. But it had some of the newest avionics on it. I have been an avionics instructor for American Airlines, and I taught systems and flight directors on the old Boeings in 1970. Now, that's been a day or two ago. By 1970, 1971, I taught simulator and I taught avionic flight directors on Boeing 707s 30-something years ago. But this brand-new airplane that we went to Kansas to pick up, it required a one-day training school and one day of flying with an instructor all day before you could take delivery on the airplane. Here we are. I've been a pilot for a hundred years. Oh, Lord, forgive me, not quite that long. But a long, long time. I have instrument ratings, multi-engine ratings, jet ratings. I have every kind of rating. I've flown the big boys. It's been a long time ago. But I go to a school, to buy, go to Kansas, uh, uh, Independence, Kansas, to buy a little four-place Cessna 172 that I can't fly. Even though we buy it, we can't fly it. With, and the insurance not going to cover it until we got a one-day class on the new avionics in that airplane. You think technology hadn't changed? Let me tell you, after one day of school in that thing, and with everything I knew about airplanes, I thought, is this something or is this something? This is, a, this is what they call a glass cockpit. You get in and everything there, when you go and look at it, there's not any instruments like there used to be, on the old, except a set of standbys down at the bottom. Everything's glass. When you turn on all the switches, everything comes up in the glass. All your automatic heading directors, your HSI, all of your, all your airspeed altimeter tapes, everything, and then your maps of everything that you can see everything. I mean, you can get in that airplane now and you can fly everything. I mean, it's amazing what you can do. It's got all this, but they're behind glass. You feel a panel. It's glass, smooth, just like a mirror. But when you turn it on, all the instruments appear in that thing, in that glass. It's all there. And then when you get ready to go, you tell it where you want it to go, and you take off, and the autopilot takes a hold, and it flies up to the altitude you want to. It levels off, flies the course, the whole nine yards, and you can see everything. I mean, if there's another airplane. We flew across Tulsa. And with the stuff that's on this airplane, I used to fly an airplane. I never knew where an airplane was unless somebody told me it was out there. You don't see them. You can't see them. You know, you really got to be looking to see the traffic. You're in, too busy inside the airplane. But on this new stuff, they've got this giant circle. All of a sudden, you see these little uh, uh, deltas. They appear with a little arrow going this way. And it says, this guy's going this direction. Maybe he's going right straight at you. He's 500 feet below you. Or he's, this will tell you from 3,000 feet below you to 3,500 feet above you. It'll tell you exactly where the guy is, tell you exactly where he's going, whether he's descending, rising, or whether he's flying level. Everything. Tells you everything. And then you say, well, I wonder what the weather's like out there. You flip it over to another, it looks like looking at weather radar. Well, I want to know what the radar, or what the weather is 50 miles out. It tells you. Well, I'd like to know what the weather is in the entire United States. So you flip the rain scale a couple of times, you see the whole United States, and you can see every thunderstorm everywhere in the whole United States of America right there on your screen, your cockpit. Isn't that amazing? I couldn't do that when I flew the jets years ago. But you can get it on a Cessna 172 today. Isn't that amazing? 
But technology has so changed, they won't let you take delivery on that airplane without one day of flight of, of classroom training on this new system, and then one day of flying with one of their instructors. And if this is if you've been flying for 20 or 30 years, why? Because I guarantee you can't fly that beast without a school. You don't even know how to turn it on. Now here we got this book, and we fly our life without this book. We go in and get in this sophisticated trainer, like this little 172, with all this stuff that can do all these wonderful things for me. And I don't know what none of these buttons mean. I don't know what none of these dials mean. And so that's what I'm telling you. I take this book. It's got all this stuff in it. It tells me how to fly my life. And I said, I don't need that book. God, I can do it. Let me go out there and get in that thing. Well, last week I was looking at some airplane stuff on a, on a computer, and I look, it says, I'm looking about training about this new G Garmin 1000, and it says, this is what happens when people don't uh, yield to training. I thought that, so I clicked on it, and it took me to a picture of a guy that just bought a helicopter at an airport. And this guy sold it to him. He said, now, I'll, I'll give you free training. He said, I don't need no training. He said, I got thousands of hours of flying. He said, but have you ever flown a helicopter? He said, no, I've never flown a helicopter, but I, don't, I can fly it. He said, sir, they don't fly like a conventional airplane. He said, look, I don't need no training. I'm telling you, I can fly this thing. He said, I'm a mechanic, I'm a pilot, I'm everything. The guy said, well, you bought it and you paid me cash. So he said, it's yours. You can do anything with you want it. Guy goes out there, obviously, obviously he's a very intelligent man. Goes out there and sets down the seat. He begins to look at all the buttons, all the dials and everything. And if he missed, figured out how to crank the engine. Gets her cranked. He's sitting there running it up, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, evidently going through the checklist. This, this guy goes back out there. He's got this on camera. He's taking pictures. This guy starts to raise this thing off the ground. Well, see, on a conventional airplane... You don't have a problem except when you start down the runway, just the rudders will guide you straight. But on a helicopter, it's not like that. you got these huge blades above you that's turning like this, and they try to turn the chopper as soon as it comes off the ground. It wants to turn the same way the blades do. That's why they got the tail rudder back there and the tail rotor that you vary the pitch on those things, and it keeps it straight. Now, if you don't know how to do that, guess what's going to happen? You're fixing to start going around with the blades. Now, see, no, nobody needs training, right? No, you've got to have training. So this guy starts going around, and then he's up there going around in a circle. The airplane goes up and down, and then it comes over sideways, and it turns over on its top and crashes. Totally destroys the helicopter and seriously injures him. Did that have to happen? Oh, what could have prevented all of that? Oh, just a little bit of training. Here we got the training manual. This training manual tells you everything you need to do in life. And is God a respecter of persons? No, sir. If you don't yield to the training in this book, guess what? You're going to crash in that helicopter just like that guy did. Did you know with the thousands of hours I've got flying, I've only been in one helicopter in my life, and I didn't fly it. I was riding. Do you know what? I would not go get in a helicopter and fly it unless I had a good CFI air, uh, helicopter pilot sitting right beside me. Why? Because I don't want to die yet. I don't want to die yet. 
See, that's why that we should take this owner's manual and read it. In other words, if there's anything we should do, we should read this book to our children from the day they're born until they get grown and away from school, 18 years of age at least. You need to read this book. You need to study this book. You need to know that the God that wrote this book means everything he says. And he is no respecter of persons. He don't treat you one way and me another. If he said something, that same rule goes for both of us, brother. And if you're a woman, it's the same deal. He means what he said. He's boss. You know, it's like we think, oh, the devil's after me. God's off up yonder in heaven. No, God is right here. And he knows what's going on. And nothing happens except he knows what's going on. And that's the part that we've missed. He's in control. Now then, will, he, uh, will, the, will the Lord allow the devil to do things to you without any kind of justifications? I don't believe he will. Because of what it says right here in this word. Now see, what we don't understand is what is proper justification. Well, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This last week, I was dwelling in the secret place of someone else instead of with my wife. I left her at home. She didn't get to go. I went to that ground school, and she's at home. Now, I called her every day. She said, do you still love me? Yes, honey, I still love you. She said, well, you didn't call till 10 o'clock tonight. I was beginning to think you didn't. I was beginning to think I lost you to another girl. Well, Friday, by the time I got home, I said, well, she said, I know. I've lost you to another girl, haven't I? She said, what's her name? I said, Cessna. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. I spent how many hours a day did I spend with Cessna? Probably 12. How many hours a day did I spend with my wife? None. One little phone call. Every day, one little phone call. The rest of the time I'm in class, I'm either working on this thing, I'm in the mock-up, or I'm in the airplane, or I'm in a classroom. And I'm dwelling with Cessna. Y'all see where I'm coming from? Now then, what if I continued to dwell with them and hadn't come home over the weekend and hadn't called? If I hadn't called her at all, Sharon, no one... Oh, I'd have been in trouble, wouldn't I, girl? You know you're a woman, too. You know if you had a husband and he's supposed to love you and he goes out of town to look at something new or work on something and he don't even call you, not even at night, and you go through a week and don't even come home over the weekend, you don't call, and next week you're in that school again or whatever, and you make about two weeks, and then you say, well, I guess it's time for me to go home. You go home in two weeks, you walk in the door, and she says, you didn't call. Oh, no, I didn't call. You got dinner ready? No. I didn't know you was coming. In other words, have I been dwelling in the secret place of the Most High with her? Not even close, have I? Whose secret place I've been dwelling with? The airplane people. Or whatever. Now then, you know, this week I had to think about God a whole lot. I had to pray a lot at night. And had to really talk to everybody, every instructor and everybody I talked to, I told them about Jesus. I prayed for all kinds of people while I was up there. There's not anybody I come in contact with up there from the head pilot training down. All these people know 
that we're Christians because we talked to them about Jesus. Ever instructor we flew with, first thing we did was pray before we left and talk to them. Do you know Jesus? They all said, man, never seen nobody like you guys. Well, hey, that's the way all of us should be as Christians. Is that right? If we're putting God first, he's going to be number one. And what did the Lord say? If we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, we will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then he says in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and He's my fortress. He's my God and Him will I trust. If you're doing that, you're telling everybody about your Jesus. You want to know, do you know my Jesus? You know, I walked in the cafeteria that day, first day at noon. We walked up there and I'm meeting a guy and I said, oh, don't move my arm. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I've got a terrible pain in my back. I said, sir, I walk in a special anointing with God with backs. I said, can I pray for you? And I'm talking about that loud. And he says, I guess so. I said, well, I'm going to do it right here. So we put our hands on him and prayed right there in the front of the cafeteria with 200 people in it. When you know you're God, you don't care who's around, do you? You don't care. You pray. You put him first. And then when you put him first in faith, if you're walking in obedience to his word, what does he have the right to do to that man you just prayed for? Healing. That's absolutely right. And if you made him the most high God, your dwelling place, and you walk in faith, he will do it. I've seen him do it hundreds and hundreds of times over and over and over. He said he will do it. But he says, you've got to say of the Lord, he is my refuge. You've got to be talking about Jesus. Somebody said, now I can be a Christian and I can live down the block and I don't have to say nothing about God. No. There's a lot of good people out there. There's a lot of people live on your block and a house is nice or better than yours, drives as good a car, better, as good to their wife as you are, good to their children, makes more money than you do, and they mow their grass better than you do, and they're a better worker at work than you are and everything. And they don't know which one of these two guys is a Christian. Maybe neither one of them, but you may say you are if somebody asks. But that guy right there, he lives just next door to me. Do you see a Christian? Well, I don't know. You never talked to him about Jesus? Well, no, we don't talk about those kind of things. Well, you ain't much of a Christian. You know, are you disobedient? Yes, you are, because Jesus told you to tell people about him, didn't he? And if you're not doing it, you're disobedient. You're supposed to be talking about the king. Now that you're saying, because he said, say of the Lord, he's my refuge, my strength. Let me tell you about my Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? And then if you do those first two things, look what verse 3 says he will do. Surely, King James says, surely, he, now that ain't talking about Thurman, is it? Surely he, God, we can put that there, right, brother? Surely, God... He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That devil sitting over here saying, you know, I think I'm going to get you. And God says, oh, no, you're not. He's walking in obedience to my word. You ain't going to touch him. Now, can you, have, can you think of anybody you'd rather have keeping you from the snare of the devil than the one that all power in heaven and earth has been given to? If all power in heaven and earth, if the Lord says, Satan, Satan's got to, he says, yes, Lord, what is it? 
Did he totally defeat him 2,000 years ago? Yes, he totally defeated him and stripped him of all of his power and armor, and he don't have nothing. When Jesus speaks, the devil listens. That's good news, isn't it? But nothing catches the king by surprise. Nothing. So he says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the nauseous pestilence or the raging epidemic. Isn't that awesome? If you're dwelling in him and putting him first, what kind of things can the devil do to you? What can he do to you? Nothing. He cannot touch you. God made that promise under the law. And how much, how many raging epidemics can come to your house if you're walking in obedience to the Lord? None. Let, let's read just a little bit further. Let's, let's go just a little further. Don't stop right there. Verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the arrow by night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor for the pestilence that works in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noontime. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Is that an awesome promise? Devastation, sickness, disease, death, destruction is hitting all around you. But if you're walking in obedience to his word and you're putting him first, how much of that can hit you? None. None. I mean, it's a promise from God. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. See, we think the only people's wicked is those sinners that are lost. But us as Christians can be pretty wicked. You know that? Sometimes more so. Do you think if you're wicked as a Christian, you're going to have to suffer the consequences of the devil? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Guarantee. And we don't want to hear this. But this is written in the Word of God. I didn't write this book. Guess what? I have to, I have to walk in obedience to this Word just like you're going to have to. There's no respect to persons. In fact, I'm going to tell you, the king holds me more accountable. He holds me more accountable. He tells me that in James. He said, you know, if you're a master or a teacher of my word, I hold you more accountable. You don't have any tolerance with me. I'm supposed to walk in obedience to his word. If I mess up, he could easily say, devil, my son knew better than that. How would you like for the Lord to turn the devil loose on you, Harry? I, would, I don't want that, do you? No, it pays good dividends to do what he says, doesn't it? Very good. Then it says here, because you have made the Lord, because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, your habitation. Think about this now. You're dwelling in him. There shall no evil 
Does that say no evil in your Bible? But not a little bit evil. No evil. There shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague or sickness. How much? Wait a minute, this couldn't be true. But it's written in the book, isn't it? Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your way. Is that good news? To have those angels and then to be given charge over you to keep you in all your ways, what do you got to do? Walk in obedience to the word. Make him the most high God your dwelling place. And if you'll walk in obedience to his word, what we've read so far, he said over and over that no evil shall come near you. No sickness and disease shall come near you. Nothing shall come upon your body, your dwelling place. Is that what he said? Amen. And this is under the law. And we've got a better covenant. Isn't that awesome? That it shall bear you up in your hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. Just think, if you're walking in obedience to God's word, I'm going to tell you what God did for me the other night. I do my best to walk in obedience to this word. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be there, but I have not mastered it yet. I know that. But I'm trying. I walked out the other night, and it had rained. And we had some new construction going on over to Ministry Center. And there was a step down about 8 or 10 inches, and it had, water had run in there, and it was slick as glass. It was just mud that deep. I didn't know it. And there's a threshold there and a doorway. And I opened the door and stepped out just like that. And when I stepped out, stepped on that mud, guess what my right foot did? I mean, it just went like lightning straight ahead. My other foot just went right out the door, and as it did, I, I just screamed, Jesus! And as I, I throw this arm down, and I fall right on the concrete on my elbow and right across that uh, threshold on my back. Now, a normal 67-year-old man, what do you think that'll do to him? It's going to hurt him pretty bad. I hit on that elbow on that concrete and right across that threshold on my back, I immediately rolled over and jumped up and said, Lord, thank you that you bore my sickness, removed my disease, and not once you send your angels and give them charge of me, I shall not dash my foot against the stone. So I want to thank you that I don't have a pain of no kind. And I got up and walked right out through the mud on out to the shop and didn't have a pain. Not a sore spot. How do you think you can fall flat back on solid concrete with a threshold that's about two inches high right across the middle of your back and hit on your elbow on concrete and get up and walk out and not even have a pain? When you know God under the new covenant you got, when you claim his promises, he'll do it for you. See, here he promised to take all sickness and disease away from us. But under the new covenant, he's gone way beyond this. If you're walking in obedience to my word, he says, now then, I'm in you. Here he was not in us, but here he is under this new covenant. He says, now then, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, if his words abide in you, you know you've been given that kind of power by the king. Under the new covenant, the king never one time that I ever remember reading in the old covenant says to his people, I am living in you. But under the new covenant, he said it many times. And under the old covenant, I never heard him say to an individual, you can come ask me for anything and I'll do it for you. But he said that over and over and over again under the new covenant. It's a different covenant. So 
when we fall like that or do something, what does the average person do? Immediately as you're falling, the thoughts come to your mind, oh my gosh, I'm going to break my back. That's the first thought. When you hit, you say, oh, my elbow, oh, and my back. I can't get up. Somebody call somebody to come help me. I broke my elbow. I know I had to break my elbow. Guess what? You broke your elbow. My back's killing me. Know what the king said you could ask for under the new covenant? But you got to believe that. So when you believe it, you get up and say, Lord, thank you. It's done. Let me straighten this thing. Oh, thank you, Lord. It works perfect. I think, you know, just like my wife the other day when we was in Germany. Actually, no, we wasn't. We were in Switzerland, up in the Alps, getting ready to go into a church. Snow everywhere. I mean, I've never seen so much snow in my life. It snowed four feet while we were over there. Four feet. Four inches. We get four inches here. Over there, we got four foot that week we were over there. And we finally tried to get to a church. The guys get, can't stop. He turns sideways and runs into a great big snow bank and stops in the middle of the road. Another guy comes running down the hill and runs right into the side of us. Cheryl gets out of the car. I said, honey, you got on the snow boots. I got on cowboy boots. I said, I'll get the stuff. You be very careful. I reach around in the car to get the stuff out of the car, and I hear this thud. <laughs> and I look around my honey, but he's laying on the ground on her backside crying. If I ever wanted to be able to do something, I went over there and knelt down beside her. Oh, and she was in pain. I, 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 oh, God. I said, Lord, I know begging don't help, but Lord, please heal my honey, buddy. I said, Lord, I know she's hurting. She's in pain. You know where I'm coming from, right? It wasn't me, but it was her. She was the one hurting. I got her up. She's crying. I take her in until Christoph. I said, Christoph, come over. He's the leader of that bunch over there. I said, come over here and lay hands on my wife with me. And let's ask God to be merciful to her. And he and I did. And he instantly took away all of Cheryl's pain. And she was great. We praised the king. We get back to the, their ministry center that night late after we'd preached all afternoon. We get back over there. And Cheryl sitting there talking to some of the girls said, man, and I took a fall today. And I know I got her. And when she did this, I said, no. I mean, screamed it at her. <gasps> I said, don't you dare say you know you got a bruise on your backside that big. You ain't looked, it ain't going to be there. You're going to have what you say with your mouth. Oh, she said, and I don't have a bruise at all on my backside. <laughs> now, see, she almost did it. How do we think? You fall right there on your hip, flat out on that thing, and it hurts like crazy. The first thing you're going to do is say, I know I got a bruise that big, big as a plate on my backside. And if you confess that, guess what you're going to have? The Lord says in Mark 11:23, the verse right above where we were reading there, while we're going to Mark 11:24, whatever you say with that mouth, if you believe with your heart, you'll have it. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Well, that means we've got to learn how to talk. What did the Lord promise these people under this covenant? The old covenant? If they'll be obedient, what did he do? Will he have sickness and disease? Will he take away? Oh, well, if all of it's taken away by walking in obedience... And why us with a better covenant do we have all these problems? We don't believe. We just don't believe. See? So just like Caitlin, as the story I'm telling you now, we're going to finish that right quick, then we're going to take a break. But with Caitlin, I'm standing on the word, I think, Mark 11, 24, whatever I desire, when I pray, believe I've received it. And he says, you'll have it. Is that what he said? I thought I believed it. I did this for 10 
consecutive months and it didn't work. I mean, every time we go in, the doctor said, finally that 10th month, he said, this valve, it, it ain't never going to work again. I said, sir, I do not receive that curse. I don't know where I missed it, but I guarantee that valve's going to work. When I find out what I've done wrong, that valve in my grandbaby's throat's going to work. So you've got to believe this word. I see, the enemy, he's coming against me, putting thoughts in my mind, you know, that she's never going to eat again. We're going to feed her through that little plug in her tummy, that liquid diet the rest of her life. But I ain't buying that. No. So I come back home and I take that verse. And when I tell you it's necessary that you study this book over and over and over, there's probably no telling how many times, hundreds or maybe thousands of times, I have quoted Mark 11:24. I have used it. I've seen people healed. I've seen people take themselves and get healed with that verse. But I can't get my own granddaughter healed with it. I've had people say, well, Thurman, that means they can do that for themselves, but you can't do it for them. I said, that's not what that says. That book says, whatever I desire. And I desire the vow of work in my grandbaby's throat. I said, that's my desire. The king said, whatever I desire. It didn't have to be for me. It could be for somebody else. He said, when I pray, when I pray, believe, and it shall be mine. I said, I've stood on that verse over and over and over and over and over and over for months, and it has not worked. And I know the problem is not with the king. He can't lie. He can't make no mistakes. The problem's always with us. Right. I went back to that verse, and I read that verse. In the next two weeks, there's no telling how many times I read that verse and quoted that verse over and over and over and over. One day I said, Lord... I don't know where I've missed it, but it's obvious I have missed it. If I hadn't missed it, that valve would be working. And then he revealed it to me. He said, son, I said, whatever you desire when you pray. Not too much later when you go back to the doctor. Is that what he said? Boy, is that a tough one, huh? Under the new covenant, if we got our sins repented of, walking in obedience because of the grace of God, now he's given me a new place to walk, and he didn't give no privilege to none of the Old Testament saints. Only the church has this privilege of taking the name of Jesus and his name, ask anything, and if you believe, it's yours. Well, if you believe, what are you going to do? If you pray and ask him to do something, and... Uh, this, is, this is hard. I know this is hard. And people have trouble doing this. If you've got back pain and you know you can't sit but 30 minutes at a time, if you pray and say, well, I don't think I can sit through this today, but I'm going to try. What do you think your chances are of making it through? Not very good. Not very good. You're going to be in pain. But if you say, Jesus said, and he made me the promise, I've repented of all my sins, I am clean. Now, Jesus said it, it's done. Praise God. I ain't going to have no more pain. You know? I ain't going to have no pain. Jesus made me the promise, done, settled, forever. That's it, done, praise God. I don't have no more back trouble. I'm going to walk in divine health from this day forth. 
You get up and, oh, you're sorry. Say, devil, you might as well leave. It's over. I ain't going to have no more pain. I'm out of here. I'm going to go get in my car. I'm going home. I ain't going to have no more pain. I'm going to walk this body. He's going to walk in divine health. By the time you get to the car, you can't hardly get in. You get in like this. That's okay, devil. You might as well leave because it's over. I'm healed because it's written in that book. Right. See, that's where you stand, though. When you get to that point, finally get to that point, and God says, oh, you really believe my word now. I've allowed you to be put to the test to right here. Now then you're understanding what I said. He said, now the devil, he's learned a lesson. You can leave him now. Until I need you, I'll call you next time I need you. And the devil says, okay, he's done what he's supposed to do. Now he's, he's gone. And you ain't got no more pain. It's over. Just like that day. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what I desire is a vow to work in Caitlin's throat. I've asked you to do it. I repent of all my sins of unbelief, and I ask you to do it one more time. It's done. It's done. It works. Is that what the Word says? So if I believe that, then what am I going to do? I'm going to feed her. That's the next thing I'm going to do. If it works, I don't need to feed her through a plug no more. Somebody says, Thurman, you're a fool. Oh, no. Jesus one made me the promise. Right. If I'm a fool, he's a fool. You think God's a fool? No, sir. I don't. I don't either. I think he cannot go against that word. I think if I stand on that word just like it's written, he can't lie to me. Right. So I go over and I tell Toby, her daddy, I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's time to feed her. He said, Herman, we just got back from the doctor two weeks ago and that valve don't work. I said, it didn't work two weeks ago. It didn't work early this morning, but right now it's working. He said, how do you know it's working? We don't have nothing to make a test with. I said, I don't need a test. That book right there is all the test information I need. Jesus told me right there, when I pray, believe I receive, and it's done. I said, I prayed this morning, I repented. I prayed, I believe, it's done. I said, now we've got to feed her. I said, you got anything to feed her? So I got a little bowl of applesauce. I said, get it out here. Open it up. Put it in the bowl. She ain't had not a bite of nothing to eat with a mouth 10 months. Ten months. I fed her with a plug every day. Ten months I fed her like that. Toby said, Thurman. I said, no, Toby. I said, look, doctor said she couldn't live. Did she live? Yes. I, doctor said she'd never walk. She run and play it? Yeah. Doctor said she'd never see. Can she see? Yeah. I said, don't you think it's time you finally get to where you can believe God? But you know what? Most people don't. Most people don't. It's written in the Word. But we don't believe it. So he said, okay. So he gets a bottle of applesauce down, puts a little bowl of it there, and puts a little spoon in it, sets a little bottle of juice out there. I call her. She's back in the bedroom playing. I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. She come running in there. I said, jump up in that chair and eat that bowl of applesauce for granddaddy. Jumped up in that chair, eat that bowl of applesauce, that little spoon, drank about half that bottle of juice, and jumped down and run in place. She's been eating and drinking ever since. Does the word work, Sharon? Will that put you to the test? Yes, the Word of God will put you to the test. But here's the thing you've got to remember. Who is behind the Word of God to make it work? God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And nothing catches him by surprise. He was not up there on his throne doing nothing. He was watching everything I was doing to the nth degree. And he's doing the same thing for you. Under the new covenant. This covenant of grace, because if it wasn't for this mighty grace, 
I mean, you think of the think of the grace we have versus what the Old Testament people had. We have a new we have a new thing that is beyond your wildest dreams. But just like Judy, when I told Judy, if you'll take the word of God and you'll believe it, we'll and you repent of all your sins, we can cast them devils out of you, and we can get you healed in the name of Jesus. I guarantee it. And a woman on her deathbed. In fact, when her friend called me on Thursday, said the doctors had told her Judy won't live another week. But by Saturday night at 6 o'clock, she is completely healed and sitting down before 7 o'clock and having a fried shrimp dinner and hadn't had not one bite to eat in three weeks. How much faith did it take to sit down there and you hadn't able to, been able to eat a bite and now you're going to eat a fried shrimp dinner? If you go on a fast for three weeks, you don't sit down and eat a fried shrimp dinner. Not the first thing. You see where I'm coming from? But if you believe God, and you believe you are healed, and you believe these promises are real, you will take these promises, you will repent of all of your sins. And you know, the big, one of the biggest sins in the church today is unbelief of these promises. I mean, he's filled a book full of promises. And we said, well, I'm sure it's not God's will to heal me. Like Brother Ed said a while ago when he read that in Second Corinthians, ever promise God made you. Yes, sir, brother? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. There's no doubt, Ed, in the Corinthians where Paul's talking about the nine gifts of the Spirit. Technically, according to Ephesians 1, 3, all of those gifts belongs to every believer when you get saved. I mean, all of them. You see, he says there, in fact, Ephesians 1, 3, I, I want you to, maybe, maybe I misunderstood that, but you look at it as I quote it. In Ephesians 1, 3, think about what the Lord says here. In Ephesians 1, 3, he says, in fact, I'll give you a second to find it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I can just see Paul standing on the hills of Ephesus screaming this mighty statement. But we read over this so casually. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 reads something like this, depending on translation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with how many? All spiritual gifts or blessings in Heavenly places in Christ. So how many of these magnificent blessings, as a child of God, how many of them belong to you? All of them. So then, let's say that I, gave, I give you, hmm, let's say I give you a new car. Let's say I give you a new airplane. Let's say I give you a new motorcycle. And I give you a new uh, high-powered motorboat to go out on the lake. And I give you a new ski do one of them things. That's a, just a five, half dozen things or so. Some of you have driven a car. But I bought you a brand new Lexus or a brand new Jaguar that's got stuff on it that guarantee you don't have any idea what they are. You're going to have to read the owner may know how to figure out how to run these things. You've got all these things that light up on the dash that you don't have a clue. Now, you may be able to get in that car and crank it. And put it in gear. But if you, if, in fact, how many of y'all back in the days when they first came out with a little deal, you had to put your foot on the brake before you could get it in gear? How many of you, first time you bought that car, you could, oh, what's wrong with this stupid gear shift? 
I had never been in one. I asked three different people where they told me to put my foot on the ground. <laughs> See, if you if you've been trained a little, now next time there's no problem, right? Yeah, I do it. Sure. Yeah, but that wasn't the way the old cars used to be, was it? No, sir. And so if you don't know that, now you might be able to get that car, but if you get in there and you put it and you crank it up and you can't get, well, I want to never dream about putting your foot on the brake no, until, like you said, three people before you found somebody who knew what, knew how to do it. And then he said, that's simple, just put your foot on the brake. Put your foot on the brake. Hey, well, how about this? You know, I have even seen people that would bring the car back to the dealer and said, I don't know what's wrong with this car, but it was, I like to never got it in drive. What do you mean? It was, oh, I had to get both hands and jerk it, and I finally got it in drive. Guess what they done? They broke that lock. Then you got to tear the whole steering column down to put that thing back in there. You can override some of these safety features if you get mean enough. <laughs> but it costs you money to fix them. So if you're not trained on that car, you can't drive it. Or at least, you know, like you found out. Once you got the knowledge, piece of cake. Or you go to that airplane, you know, hey, it's even worse. You know, I mean, I, could, I think of the jets I flew 30 years ago. And I can think while I was up there at Cessna, they pulled in with a new Citation jet, and two guys did and parked it. And he, I, I could only imagine, he said, you ever flown a jet? Oh, yeah. He said, won't you go out and take that and run the pattern? Now, only a fool would have went out and gotten that thing and even tried to do that without an instructor with you. You see where I'm coming from? Did I have, have I had jet experience? Oh, yeah, a lot of it. But a new jet with these new avionics? Hey, I wouldn't even dream of getting in one of these things without a lot of hours of instructions. And then the, I wouldn't go out and get one of them little ski dudes on the lake. I see these guys zipping around on these things having a ball. But I ain't never rode one. Never. What's a good way to get hurt? Yeah, get on a motorcycle. Yeah, okay, or a motorcycle or anything. If you hadn't had some instructions, I don't need no instructions. Yes, you need instructions. Right. So if you take this book and you don't know what this instru and the instruction manual says, how many spiritual gifts are yours? All of them. How many of these physical gifts could I utilize to their maximum? None of them. I couldn't drive that car to its maximum, couldn't ride that airplane, fly an airplane, couldn't do none of those. I might drive the car, but the airplane, I might not even be able to get it off the ground. So not even be able to crank it and, or the ski, whatever. But if I was thoroughly trained in all of those, hey, I could go out and have a ball in my nice new car, my airplane, my ski-doo, my motorcycle, whatever. And I say, wow, let's crank that thing up and go down the road on that big new Harley or whatever. And every button on it, I just knew what it did. No, I feel perfectly at home. But the gifts of the Spirit, they're all yours, just like these were. But if you don't train yourself in these, how are you going to use these to their fullness? You're not. Some of them you're not even going to have enough knowledge to use them at all. But if, how are you going to get the knowledge to use those gifts? From the Word. And by asking God for wisdom. Lord, you said all these mighty gifts are mine. The gift of healing is mine. The gift of faith is mine. The gift of miracles is mine. Lord, train me to use these gifts. You know, discerning the Spirit, speaking in tongues, whatever it is. Lord, train me to use these gifts. Well, some people say, well, you know, those gifts are not for us today. Well, okay, I don't believe they're for us today then. So guess what you're going to do? You, no. Here you've got all these toys sitting out here. You walk out there, and there's your new Lexus. 
you know, or your Jaguar or whatever. There's your new airplane sitting over there in the hangar. You know, there's your new motorcycle sitting there. There's your new ski-doo over there. And somebody says, there's your big new powered, let's go to lake. No, I, I can't go to lake. Why not? Well, I don't know how to drive a boat. What do you got that big monster sitting there for then? Learn. Oh, I ain't got time. So you got the boat, the ski-doo, the motorcycle, the airplane, the car. And the guy said, let's go somewhere. He said, okay, let's go. Let's. So how are you going? I'm going to walk. You going to walk? And you got a car and an airplane and a motorcycle and you going to walk? Is that dumb? How, but see, that's what we do with these gifts. How many of the gifts belong to the Christian? Why don't we ask God, Lord, I've got a new Mercedes over here. I need to learn how to drive it. So let me find somebody that knows everything there is about a new Mercedes or a new Lexus or whatever. You know, I need to know how to drive this thing. You can't even turn the windshield wipers on some cars if you're not trained today. You know, I'm telling you. You know, so everything's changed. So the Word of God is no different. You get with somebody that really knows something about faith and get them to spend time with you. And guess what? You go over and sit down in that new Jaguar, Mercedes, or, or just like me in that airplane. And I got thousands of hours of flying, and yet I am still not comfortable. Oh, we bought that thing and flew it home. There's a lot of things about that new Garmin 1000 I am not comfortable with yet. It'll do too many things. You think, good grief, you've flown all those years, you ought to know everything. Well, let me tell you, not about that, I don't. It's brand new. I don't know it. And I'll be the first to tell you I don't know it. But I can tell you, you give me a little time, and I will know it. And I'll be able to get in that thing, go anywhere I want to go. Now then, I'll be able to enjoy that thing. I'll be able to safely carry us or our ministry team anywhere we want to go to preach the gospel under any kind of conditions because we've got the equipment that can do it. But I've got to know how to use that stuff, just like those gifts. Those gifts belong to you. Did he say they belong to you? Can you see Paul out there saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, the church, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's given them all to you. Now go use them for his glory. Isn't that something? So how many of those gifts are yours? All of them. All of them. So don't you think we ought to get over there in 1 Corinthians and say, Lord, the gift of healing is mine? How do I do that, Lord? How do I do He said, walk holy in my presence. Make me, the Most High God, your dwelling place. Study my word. Learn what I'm saying. And you walk in total purity and total holiness. You die to yourself daily. You crucify yourself. Crucify the old man. Walk holy in my presence. Walk in total belief of the word. And then I'll send you out there when you get totally ready. And then when you walk up and touch somebody in my name, in the name of Jesus, and say, be healed, I'll heal them for you. That's when life becomes fun. You know, I've seen it hundreds and thousands of times. I've seen it. Now then, if I can teach you to repent of your sins and walk holy before God and he heals you, then you can, after you don't go sin no more. You know, if you don't go sin no more, then what are you, according to the word, even under the old covenant, do you have to have any more sickness and disease? No. No. And I'm telling you, I didn't know this all my life, but the last 20-something years have been the most fun time of my life. No sickness, no disease, no pain. I mean, you know, you've, the average man my age falls down on his elbow and his back across the threshold, stepping off of a 10-inch step. I mean, it automatically in the mind. 
you know, I mean, I even told that I step, fell and on a step the other day, and I fell, slipped my foot, and it hit right across my back. The guy said, man, I bet you were down for a month, wasn't you? See, that's, that's what we think. Right. I said, no. I got right up and went on to what I wanted to do. He says, what? You mean it didn't break your elbow? Well, I don't know. It might have. But I said, it don't hurt. It's perfect in the name of Jesus. And I got up and straightened it out. If it is crushed and broken there, what Jesus do? Put it right back together because I believed his word. And he knew I believed his word. He said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Well, so when something happens, and sure, you're going to have problems and trials and tests, and you may do things, but I've made promises in my word. If you'll believe them, I'll do anything if you'll just believe it. Just think about Mark 11:24. If that was the only promise, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe it's done, what could you do with that promise? What could you do if you're walking in obedience to the Word? You're an obedient child? Something, technically speaking, if we could go there, I mean, you could live, if you were in an accident and it broke your arm, you could take Mark 11, 24 and say, Lord, I want to thank you, Mark, and put it back together. I desire Mark to be back together right now in the name of Jesus. Not a scar. No mark. I want to thank you. It's done. Get up and walk outside. And the guy said, good grief, look at your arm. Oh, yeah, that's okay, but Jesus take care of that for me. It's healed. Well, look, we take you to the hospital right now. No, 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 I don't need to go to the hospital. I ain't going to have no broken bone. See, I can still move my fingers, the tendons, everything all hooked up. Bones going, it's, it's bones back in place. The guy said, bones, take it outside. Oh, yeah, but it's fixing to be back in there because Jesus said. Can you imagine you're there confessing these things? And people are saying, look at this nut. He's crazy. They say, thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you, Lord. Let my arm's healed in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, that bone just goes and the skin lays right back over. And everybody said, ah, look what happened. He said, what, what are you all so upset about? What are you all so, I told you all, what are you going to do? Is that what he said? Now, who, who do you know can walk in that? And what we do when we look down and see a bone broke, what do we do? <laughs> Get me to the hospital quick. Is that us? Yes. We don't believe that book. You know why we don't see him do much? Or we don't believe that book. He's made us the promises. Praise the King. Well, it's 3.30. We went a little longer than we should have, but I'm, uh, what I'm going to do today, we're going to take a, right now we're going to take a 15 or 20 minute break. The bathrooms are all over here on the other side. Normally, I take an offering at the healing school, but I'm not going to do that because Cheryl's not here. She's out ministering to somebody else. But if y'all want to give a donation to our ministry, the box is back there. You can do it back there. And all the tapes and CDs and everything's free. Take as many as you want. Take them home, whatever your friends. And if you do give a check for our ministry, right, make it up to TLSM. If you have cash, you want a receipt, there's an envelope back there. You can put it in there and put your name, address. Print it for me, please, if you want a receipt so I can send you a receipt uh, at the end of the year. And uh, like I say, anything you want that we have back there is free. And we got order forms back there if you want something we don't have. Or for those of you who don't know, you can go to the website and you can order it off of the website. We send out everything free and postpaid. We don't charge for nothing. So uh, let's be dismissed for about uh, 15 or 20 minutes. Y'all go to the bathroom, get you a drink or whatever, and come back and we'll start again in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes. You're dismissed for 15 or 20 minutes. Praise the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, the Word. The promises are in the Word. But it is hard to believe them. 
While we're waiting for people to come back, I will tell you, I have never met a human being that believes all of God's promises. Never. You know, you can say you believe them, but you don't. This book is so powerful. Just like that promise in Mark eleven twenty four. You know, and I'll give you an example. A few years ago, a couple of years ago, I was up in the north teaching at an Assembly of God church. And that night, there was uh, two ladies after the service was over. Uh, we were praying for people, doing all kinds of things. And we went over to uh, the man that invited me up there. He was one of the deacons, I think. But we went over to his house. <clears throat> and there was two ladies walked in. And uh, these two ladies walked in, and uh, he introduced them to me. And I asked the ladies, were they Christians? And they both kind of hesitantly said yes. I said, well, where do you girls go to church? Well, Ruth, she told me where she went to church. And I said, well, how often do you go? She said, well, I don't go very often, but I do go once in a while. And I said, Lisa, or you said you're a Christian. Do you go to church? She said, no, I don't go to church at all. And I said, well... Would you girls, they look like they're about late 30s or early 40s. I said, would you girls mind sharing with me your medical history? They kind of looked at me and said, what do you mean? Medical history. I said, well, if you're Christians and you don't go to church, you don't do what God says, I can assure you, you've had a medical history. Almost everybody has. You know, they don't realize it. But that's what's opened the door to the enemy, their disobedience to serve God. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so, Ruth, she said, well, I've had surgery on my arm. I had a bad rotor cuff. But she said, lots of people have bad rotor cuff. I said, yeah, here you are in the late 30s, you know, early 40s, and you got a bad rotor cuff. You, know, you think God designed the body to have a bad rotor cuff at 38? No, I don't think so. So why does she have one? Because of her disobedience to not serve God, not put him first. And I said, well, you had surgery, does your arm work? She said, well, it works fair, but only I can only raise it this high. And I said, well, why can you only raise it this high? She said, because I had to put a, some stainless steel bolts in my arm to hold it together. So that bolt or bolts are keeping my arm from going any higher than that. I asked Lisa, I said, how about you? Well, she said, I've had surgery three times on my back, and they want to do it a fourth time. But she said, it's hurt so bad the last time, I'm not going to allow them to do it, because the last time they went in and put some rods in my back. And she said, those rods are so painful in my back. I said, can you bend? She said, well, about 10 degrees. And, and I said, do you, can you run? Oh, no, no, I can't run. I said, you walk okay? Not really. She said, I walk, but I walk slow and take small steps. But she said, that still hurts. And so she said, they wanted to do surgery the fourth time, but I decided I'm not going to do it anymore. It's too painful, costs too much money. I said, if you girls will repent of your sins and promise God you'll put him first, I said, he'll heal you. And they said, what? They never heard God was a healer. So I told Ruth, Lisa didn't say anything. So I said, Ruth, are you willing to repent of your sins and tell the Lord that, ask him to forgive you? And tell him you'll start going to church and tithing and loving him and serving him, reading his word and studying it, and do everything he says for you to do. 
And she said, well, yeah, I know I should do all those things. So she said, yes, she said, Lord, I, I'm sorry that I've not done what I should. But said, Lord, I ask you to forgive me, and I will do the things you tell me to do. <clears throat> Prayed for her, laid hands on her, and when I laid hands on her, I asked the Father in the name of Jesus to turn those bolts into flesh and bone so she could raise her arms straight up. Now, first of all, only a few years ago, I didn't even have the faith to think that God could do that. I mean, I tell that to a Christian. A Christian say, what? Well, I mean, what did God say I could ask for? Anything. So what do, what do we not understand about that? I mean, he didn't just say it one place, did he, brother? Many places. So as my children ask the Father in my name for anything, and he will do it for you. But he said, when you ask, you've got to ask in faith, nothing wavering. Right. See, that's what gets us, right? Well, now, anything? Okay, God, would you please turn that bolt into flesh and bone? Now, Lord, I don't know if, what, I don't know if you can do that or not, Lord, but no, I'm going to pray, and I'm going I'm to lay. I'm gonna, now, do whatever you're going to do, Lord. I'm going to back off here in case our arm blows up. <laughs> I mean, we're faithless. We're faithless. I'm serious. Yes, yes. I mean, the king did say. Yes, he did. So... I asked the Father in Jesus' name to turn. Everybody who was there in that room with us was astounded at the prayer I prayed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to take those bolts that's in her arm and turn them to flesh and bone so she can raise her arms straight up. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, Lord, you said it. It's done. I said, Ruth, you're healed. I said, raise your arms straight up in the name of Jesus. Well, she didn't believe that, so she starts up real gentle. Uh-huh. You know, I said, come on, Ruth, raise it up. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Jesus has healed you. And when she got to about right here and no pain, her eyes began to get big. And then she, oh, my gosh. She starts screaming and praising God. And while she's up there screaming and praising God and raising her arm around like this, I hear this. Lord, I repent, I repent, I repent. And I looked in Lisa's door and said, Lord, I repent, I'll do anything if you'll heal me. I mean, what the king say? Repent and I'll heal you, didn't he? So I went, walked over there and I laid my hands on her back and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you turn these rods in her back to flesh and bone so she can bend over and walk? I said, Lord, you've heard what she said. Now, between you and her, but I'm going to pray the prayer of faith, and I'm going to believe she's going to serve you just like she said. I said, Lord, only you know that, but I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for her. And I did. I said, now then, Lisa, I said, bend over and touch your toes. She said, I can do it. And man, she went, wham, and bent down and touched her. And then she stood up and said, and I can run in place. And that girl was completely, totally healed right there. I mean, she had just seen an awesome miracle take place. If no, God's no respecter person, he'll do it for her. He'll do it for me. And he did. And that night I went away from that place. When I walked out of there, that house that night, I'm saying, you know, God, you're just kind of beyond my wildest dreams. You know that, Lord? <laughs> you're beyond my wildest dreams. So I come back to Dallas. Next Sunday I'm sitting in my Sunday school class, and I said, you know, we don't believe this book. One of the men, 75 years old in my class, he said, Thurman, I believe that book. Don't you tell me I don't believe that book. I said, okay. I said, uh, the promises are pretty awesome. I said, let me give you a scenario. 
You say you believe the book? He said, I believe this book. I'm telling you, I believe it. Okay, okay, okay. I said, what do you do with John 14, 13 and 14, where the king says twice. Now, I want you to think about it. I want you to turn to your Bible and see if I'm telling you the truth. John 14, 13 and 14, under the new covenant that Jesus left us, I want you to see what the king said two times in John 14, 13 and 14, as children of God. Of course, you've got to remember, all these promises work for the obedient children. He said that in the Old Testament so many times, and every time he made us these great and awesome promises under the new covenant, he didn't come back and say, now if you'll be obedient to what I tell you, then I'll do these wonderful things for you. I guess he expected by the time he'd said it a thousand times from the Genesis, you know, to the time we got to the New Testament, we ought to know by now. He means that if you're obedient, I'll do things for you. Don't you think he thought we ought to get it by this time? You know? So, but John 14, 13, 14, as obedient children, what did the king say you can ask him for? So maybe somebody quoted to me instead of me quoted to you. What did it say? What? what read it out loud, brother. And whatever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. You shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Now see, the average Christian, just like me for years, I didn't believe those things either. I mean, according to these promises, all spiritual blessings belong to us as children. And this magnificent thing here, what can you, what, if, as an obedient child of God, if you're a Christian and you know Jesus and you walk in obedience to his word, what kind of limitations did he give you right there? No limits. None. Yes, brother. Sure, Absolutely. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, you can. Here, here's, here, Brother Ed, here's, here's the way I answer that. Any man that's walking in the Spirit will never ask God for anything that's not outside of his will. Yeah, yeah, and that is written. That is written in First John. That's what I'm saying. Would that be what we should Yes, that would be perfect. Yeah, that would be perfect. But the thing about it is... We know that healing was given to all of us. We know that power over the enemy is given to all of us. We know that he gives us these great and awesome promises so we can walk in great power on this earth as his children. You know, we're not supposed to be just normal. I mean, the business world, let me tell you something. These promises work in the business world. I mean, I was a businessman, an engineer, and I traveled all across this country, and I asked God many times for many different things in the business world. I mean, I would stop and pray over something. We, we would have a situation. I mean, I don't know how many times I've done this in my life. As an engineer, they'd call me, and it might have something. Who knows what it is? I've had so many of these experiences. I could think down here at the FW Airport just a few years ago, less than 10 years ago, they had a major problem with a platform on a truck that was not working, and two or three people had fell off of this thing and had gotten hurt seriously. And my boss came to me one day and said, Thurman, is there anything you can do to make this thing work and work every time? I said, I can't, but I know the one that can. He said, who is it? I said, my Savior, Jesus, and he lives in me. Let me go talk to him, and I'll figure out, he'll tell me how to fix it. And most people think you're nuts. 
But what did King Second ask for? You think he wants them people heard out there? Absolutely not. So in faith, I can ask. So I go down and I look at this truck and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I need you to show me how to make this platform where it'll extend every time so it'll work perfect and everything. And almost immediately, all the things came to my mind how to design this with all the proper latches and everything. He brought all that information to my mind. I run, grabbed me a sheet of paper. I wrote down all that stuff. I went over and told one of the guys, I said, you order me this, 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 this. And we come in. I went down and said, you guys do this and put it in there. And we got that together, put that on, and that thing worked beautiful. Now, when I thought we had it totally done. I mean, one of the, one of the guys that helped put it on there, I was the engineer, done all the work. So they, I mean, done the, that far. They done all the work. And whenever we got through, I come down and one day he's trying to tear it up. Bam! You know, I said, what are you trying to do? He said, I'm, he said, I'm going to see if I can tear up this latch. He said, we ain't never been able to put nothing on here if they can't tear up. So he said, I'm going to see if I can tear it up. I said, okay. I said, you can't. And he found out he couldn't. Because God had given me the knowledge of how to do this. I thought, man, I got this thing fixed. I said, Lord, this won't never give him no more trouble. So I get in my pickup. I start over to the other side of the airport. And I'm driving down the airport. And all of a sudden, I see an open vision. I mean, I just see it. There's another airport out there. And there's a... A terminal, and there's a truck pulls up there, and there's an airplane there, and this guy comes out, and he, I'm, I'm seeing all this in the spirit. This guy pulls up that airplane, that ramp comes right out, he walks across that ramp, goes in the airplane, caters it, gets through, makes two or three trips back across there. Now they have a, a fixed ramp they put over this movable ramp that comes out, and he put the fixed one down, done the catering, picked up the ramp, and getting ready to remove everything and getting ready to close the door, and the girl walks and says something. Now, I don't hear a voice. This is all in vision. He walks out and steps on that ramp and goes inside that airplane and gets one more thing, comes back out, steps on that little ramp, and she hollers at him. She, I, and he does like this, and he leans back against the side of the airplane so he can hear because there's lots of noise out there. When he leans back, that ramp he's sitting on some rollers, and it just shoots right back in, and he falls right down to the ground. I said, oh, God. I said, Lord, i got to have a latch that will put on that thing that will automatically lock that that removable ramp that comes out on them rollers. When it comes out, it will not go back in. I said, I never dreamed of somebody getting on the ramp and leaning backward on the airplane, and so it rolls in. I said, Lord, you got to give me a latch. And so I go back over there, and I turn around, and I'm sitting there looking at this thing. I said, Lord... I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said I could ask anything. And I said, Lord, I know you don't want these people hurt. I need you to show me how to design a latch that will put on that that will never fail. And I want to thank you for doing it in the name of Jesus. Now, what did he say I could ask for? Hey, don't you think he knows more than me and you? Absolutely. I mean, I'm an engineer, but this guy, this God, we say he's the best engineer there ever was. Right. He made everything. I'm sitting right there looking at this thing. And I said, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for my answer. I ain't seeing nothing, but I'm thanking him and praising him for my answer. And all of a sudden, right before my eyes, that latch in detail appears on that truck. And what can he do? Exceedingly abundantly above all your wildest dreams. You've got to start thinking like God. Listen to him. And I see this thing. Man, I look at that just a couple of minutes, and I run over, grab me a sheet of paper, and I draw this thing out. 
I called one of the guys over and I said, hey, here it is. Build me this latch just exactly to these specifications and put one on that truck. He built that and I got back down there and he cut it all out of steel and put it and fixed it, designed it and ground it and polished it and done everything. And he put it on and he said, how in the world? He said, that's the simplest thing I've ever seen. He said, I would have never dreamed of something that simple. He said, that thing will never fail. I said, that's the point. Well, that piece of equipment is still on every catering truck in the country. Now then, that ramp is on every one of those things, and that latch is on there, and they have never had a failure of that thing since I designed it and put it on there. Who, who's responsible for that? The Lord. He showed it to me. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Every invention that's out there that you enjoy every day was designed by a man of God that loved Jesus. Every one of them. You can find people that are not men of God that can take something that was originally designed and built and other people can go back with the education you learn at school today and you can increase, but for a new invention to come out only comes through men of God that God has revealed himself through. Only he can do that. You cannot think up something new. But God can. And that's where we get all this stuff. You pray. That's just like a good friend of mine. He's, he used to work for Southwest Airlines. He's now retired from them. But when they had, they had a, well, that new Boeing 70, uh, sorry, not the 707, the three, yeah, 337. When the 337 came out, 737, yeah, 737, that's what, the twin engine, uh, a nice little Boeing airplane, hauls about 80, 90, or 100 people, somewhere in that neighborhood. They had a hydraulic problem with it. And they grounded them. You know, they just said this. So they had a big meeting with the Boeing people. They came down, everything. They had a big meeting trying to figure out what's wrong with this airplane. And after, I don't know, a few days, he finally said, guys, I'm going to go out and pray and ask God. He's going to show me. Now, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? We've got the best engineers in the world trying to figure out what's wrong with this airplane. And this guy's going to go pray. The problem was he didn't pray in the start with. That's why it took so many days. He goes outside and says, Father... In the name of Jesus, you, asked, you told me I could ask anything. I know you don't want these people hurt. I ask you to show me what's wrong with this airplane. And the Lord immediately revealed him the problem with a valve. He went back in and said, I know what's wrong with it. It's this piece and this hydraulic valve that's causing the problem. One of the engineers stood up and said, that's not the problem. He said, I guarantee that's the problem. We ain't going no further. It was a big wheel with Southwest at the time. He said, you, go, you guys go back and you check that, but I'm going to guarantee you're going to find that problem is in that valve with that airplane. Reluctantly, the meeting was adjourned. They went back to their factory, and about a week later, they called him and they said, you were right. That's the problem. They modified the valve, and that airplane has never had a problem in that area again. Where did that answer come from? A man of God that prayed. Isn't that amazing? See, as children of God, if we would ask the king according to the word, now us men, you know how us men are. We're a prideful bunch. You know, I don't need God. I'm a grown boy now. I can remember one night I went racing my motorcycle when I was 18. I won first place. Risked my life for a stupid little trophy. Come in so proud that night about 11 o'clock. Night runs too, by the way. 
and really dumb, stupid back in those days. Come in, woke mother up about 11 o'clock, said, Mom, look what I want tonight. She said, Son, I knew you was out doing something. I knew, she said, I've been praying for you diligently ever since you left. I just knew you were going to do something that you were not telling me about. I said, Mama, I'm a big boy now. I don't need no prayers no more. I can take care of myself. I told you how big I was, didn't it? Where was my pride level? Way up there. Where was God at? Way over yonder. Did I need prayers now? Thank God for a good mother. Amen. Hey, you know what I mean, right? Thank God for a good mother that said, Lord, my son, I don't know what he's doing, but please take care of my baby. He said, okay, because you're asking, I'm taking care of that boy. Yeah, he's prideful. He don't have any idea what's going on. But because of your prayers, I'll take care of your son. Thank God we got mothers and daddies. Some have got mothers and daddies, but think of the children out there. They don't have no mom and daddy. You know, they had a man and a woman, but they didn't have a mother and a daddy. That's what's so sad. That's what I'm saying. This book is so powerful. Now then, we, we, we also know that just like Ed said, the word literally says over in, the, in John, in John, uh, 1 John 4, it's either 3 or 5, I forget where it is. But we know, first, I believe 1 John, yeah, this is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. Now, again, if we know that the word does not condemn us, that means we're walking holy in obedience to the word. And then, he, again, with that scripture, you take these other scriptures, and if his words abide in you and you abide in him, then you're not going to ask daddy for something that's against his will. You know, because, you know, you know he tells us to be very, you know, humble and thrifty and, and you don't know, take your business and, and don't gamble and don't lie and steal and cheat and all that stuff. Don't commit adultery. So no man of God, no man of God would ever say, hmm, I've been married to this old girl 20 years. She's not pretty. She used to be. So I want that over there, God. I want another woman. Now, if you ask him something like that, you don't know who God is. You know, God, you're serving, not the one I'm serving. The one I'm serving says, I give you a woman, and she's going to get old with you, and you're going to love her, and you're going to treat her like I'd treat her. You're going to love her like I love you, and I was willing to give my life for you, so that's why I want you to love that woman. And that's the way you're going to love her. So you ain't never going to have a thought about another woman. You know, this is the only woman you got eyes for, not another one. You're not going to lie. You're not going to steal. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to play the lotto. You know, those kind of things. You're not going to every kind of business, some kind of a gamble. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, to a degree. Right. Well, it is. I, I, I don't believe that, sir. If, if you well, and I. Nearly everything's a gamble. Well, no, I have to disagree with that this way. On this grounds, the Lord clearly tells me that if I walk in obedience to his word and do what he says, he says, whatever I put my hands to, to do in Deuteronomy 28, he will bless it. So it's not a gamble. It can't fail. It's a guaranteed deal from God. So see, if I'm thinking, if I'm thinking that everything I go to do is a gamble, then that means I don't believe God and I'm walking in sin. I'm not believing the word. So see, we, that's why our confession, 
That's why our confession is so important. If Jesus said in Deuteronomy 28, he clearly said in those first 14 verses, if you will be obedient, and he says that three different times. He says that at the beginning, at the middle, at the bottom of those first 14 verses. If you will obey me and listen diligently to my voice and hearken to my voice and do everything I tell you to do, then all these blessings shall overtake you. I will command the blessings upon you. And he says, whatever you put your hands to, I will make it prosper for you. So see, there's no, it's no gamble. I mean, when I went into the... Well, it's, it's not a gamble at all. It's guaranteed in the Word. So let's say that I decide I want to become... Do what, sir? Everything you put your hands to is no gamble. Uh, that's right. As a son of God, that's right. Put your hands to something that looks like a gamble, it's not a gamble. No. In other words, if, if I am a son of God, walking totally in obedience to God's Word, and I said, Lord, I believe in my heart that I'm led to be a mechanic. I believe I'm led to be a mechanic. So I'm going to ask you to direct me, and I'm going to do good at it. I'm going to be the best. And so you start out as a young man, and I mean literally. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I literally, I mean, became a great mechanic, and I worked as a mechanic for years, and I, I, I was good at it. I was fast. Everybody I worked for, I, they bragged about how good I was at what I did. Well, I did it because I was serving God. But then after when I went to war, when I had to go to the military for several years, I said, Lord, I believe you're going to take care of me. I went to Vietnam. I said, Lord, in Korea both. I said, Lord, I believe you're going to take care of me. I ain't going to get a scratch. No gamble. I came back without a scratch from everywhere. Oh, then when I started to go into the aviation world, into the engineering world, I said, Lord, I'm going to be the best teacher and best instructor and the best engineer they ever had. Because you're my God, my Lord. And I've designed some awesome pieces of equipment and done some things. That's right, what he said. So he said, whatever you put your hands to, I will make it prosper. And so he has. I mean, he literally, it didn't matter whether I was a mechanic back yonder, whether I was a paint and body man, whether I went on, went to a war, when I come back, went back to engineering school, then when I, I, I flew for the airlines, I, when, I, when I started building buildings, it didn't matter what I'd done. I had great fun, but I did everything through prayer with the king. And he has blessed me abundantly. I mean, bless me abundantly with knowledge and wisdom. What can I do? I mean, when, when give me. In fact, I remember you talk about a job. When I came from uh, Tabranov and walked in there and they gave me this job in the engineering world to be an, an instructor in engineering there and to teach systems on those airplanes, I walked in. The guy said, I got two jobs for you. Number one, I want you to teach a six week engineering course. To the new guys. And then I want you to learn every system on the Lockheed Electra, the four-engine turboprop, except avionics. And I want you to teach that entire airplane flight crew. That's two jobs. You know how long it takes to prepare to teach those two jobs? I didn't do it overnight, brother. You know that, don't you? It was not easy. I spent hours and hours and months and months studying and working on each individual section until I mastered that thing. I mean, I mastered that thing. I mastered that engineering course to the point that I shortened that course from six weeks to three and got FAA approval to teach it. They came in, and these guys, I had guys come to my class that some of them 
when I taught the electrical course in there, I had guys come in and say, I can't believe you rattled my cage. I mean, I took a semester in college on electrical engineering, and you've taught us more about electricity in two days than I learned in a whole semester in college. That's how I condensed it. But they got it. So, I mean, but what does God say we can do? It, it's all things. I mean, that's the way I went through my life, saying I can do all things through Christ with strength, not on my own power, but on his power. But he lives in me. Right. So if Jesus lives in me, he says, if you can have faith, in fact, Matthew 17. I want you to turn to Matthew 17 under the new covenant, and I want you to see what the king says you can do under Matthew 17, 20, and 21. Matthew 17, 20, and 21. Just think about this. I mean, after all, this is the Word of God, and the King is behind this book. Somebody read to me out of your Bible since some of you might have a problem with me, start with verse 20 and 21. Matthew 17, 20. And why could we not do these things? What did he say? Because of your what? We could not cast that demon out of that boy because of what? Unbelief. So what do you think the problem is today? Unbelief. Because what does he say? What does he say when you read on there? Have faith as a grain of mustard. Now that that you couldn't have read that right. If you if if you read that right, and we're children of God, and we got that promise, and then he says, "How much faith do we need? Great, big, giant, big mountain full." And that's the tiniest seeds. I mean, he didn't expect us to have a thimble full of it, even much less a teacup or a five-gallon bucket full, did he? He said we could. You see, we don't believe him, do we? Stop a hurricane, too. Sure we can. Absolutely. A whole hurricane, not just somebody's little patch of it. Well, you can stop it if you've got that kind of faith. Well, yeah. If you've got that kind of faith. Well. I don't know anybody has that kind of faith right now. But I guarantee I have stopped tornadoes several times, but I only stopped them when it was going to tear up my property. I would remind the devil that he has no just cause to me and that I have power over him and you will not destroy my property. I have stopped tornadoes three times in my life that were coming to destroy something that I had. And I've seen God do this. Or I've seen this one Baptist preacher friend of mine when I started teaching him, he said, you lost your mind. I said, no, 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 it's what the Word says. Well, finally one day, He'd put a roof on his house down in Arlington every year. The hail come through. And finally one day he was down there and he was, putting, he was out there putting a, a new roof on it and another big storm was coming up. <laughs> and he was, said, I was up on top of that roof and I saw that storm coming in and I thought, you know, Thurman has showed me this stuff in the Word over and over and over. 
And he said, it was Jesus. He was saying, said this. He said, <clears throat> that's it. Devil, I'm believing the word. You're not letting this tear up another roof on my house in the name of Jesus. And that's been at least 10 or 15 years ago. And I'm telling you this, he has never put another new roof on that house to this day. But he finally decided to believe the word. Right. And the king knew it. And the devil, he said, now, Thurman, the hail has come to my street and destroyed the roof on the other side of the street, and I didn't get a hailstone. Isn't that amazing? What can you do by faith? Anything? Maybe you don't want it to destroy your town or something like that. Well, I'll tell you what, talking about destroying a town, I believe it was 1952. There was a man of God, a great man of God. He came to Waco, Texas. And he had great faith and great miracles followed this man. He's not alive today, but he was then, 1952. And he tried to teach in the city of Waco these principles. And they ran him out of town. As he was getting ready to leave, the churches got together, some of the pastors and whatever, and they told him to get out of Waco and never come back. Just before he left, he got up on the platform up there. He said, I'm going to tell you, God is going to destroy this city today because of your unbelief. And they thought he was crazy there, too. He got in his car and drove off. And that day, in 1952, the worst hurricane, the worst tornado that ever hit Waco, Texas, destroyed it. Some of you might have been alive like I was in 1952. Remember it. It wiped out that city in 1952. But very few people know that there was a man of God trying to treat these principles, and the church ran him out of town. And he stood and said, This day God will destroy this city because of your unbelief. And it happened. Isn't that amazing? His name was Franklin Hall. He's been dead several years, but he was an awesome man of faith. Awesome. But he believed the word, or at least he tried to believe all of the word. Oh, you know him? Okay. He was a great man of God. He walked in the gifts of the Spirit, and he walked in a very unique place, and very few people believed what he said, but yet what he said came out of this book. That's like when uh, uh, John uh, Dowie, and he got so strong, he built the city of Zion in Chicago, which is still there. And of course, when he built it, he walked so holy in the early uh, 1900s that his ministry was so powerful. You could bring a man or a woman to him with broken bones on crutches, and when they walked out of his, bit, out of his church, they were healed, walking totally, completely. I mean, he was a great man of God. He had great faith. If I could only get to those places where these men have walked. I'm not there. But he went out to uh, California one time, and he preached in a church out there. And a lot of people made fun of him. He said, you, you can ask God, it's written. One of the men stood up and said, you know, I know this stuff written in the Bible, but it don't mean what it says. He said, if you're such a man of faith, he said, we ain't had no rain in California in three years. 
So if you're such a man of faith, why don't you command it to rain? They said, but you can't do that, can you? He said, in the name of Jesus, it'll be a thunderstorm pouring down with rain all over this countryside before you can get to the back door and open it in the name of Jesus. Somebody said, he's a fool. All of a sudden, <laughs> And they run to the back door and slung it open. It was pouring down a flood and rain in California. and rain in three years. But it was raining. When John Alexander Dowry said, it's going to rain, God made it rain. Did he have great faith? Yes, he had great faith. There's, a few, there's been a few men that's tried to believe this book. Yep. And so he's asking for how much faith? Just a mustard seed. What did he say you could do there? He said you could do it. He said you speak to a mountain. And he said, Lord, why can we not cast out this demon? He said, because of your unbelief. Unbelief. We couldn't cast that demon out because of unbelief. He cast it out, didn't he? Yep, he got the boy set free. Lord, why can we not do this? Is because of your unbelief. Now, what was the difference between Jesus and these other boys? Jesus spent more time with his father than these other boys did. And do you know? That's what's wrong with us today. Many of us as pastors in churches spend almost no time with God. We won't get in our study or in a room or whatever and either get down on our knees or raise our hands. I mean, I sit in my easy chair you have no idea how much I sat back with my chair against the wall, my hands raised, touching the wall, and just praising and worshiping the king. I got the door closed. Ain't nobody in there but me and God. I ain't trying to impress nobody but God. Right, right, right. The rest of them can't do nothing for me, but he can heal your body. You know, he can touch mine. He can keep mine healed. And I want to walk in divine health, but I realize I've got to make him the most I got in my dwelling place if I want to walk in this kind of power. Right. You know, and I got to fast and pray on a regular basis. I got to take care of this temple. You know, I got to do everything he said. Jesus, and Jesus would go away to a lonely place to pray all night. I used to read those things, and I think, God, in a Baptist church, we had the longest prayer meeting I ever seen one time, and they wanted us each to pray five minutes each. Five minutes? You take your watch off and lay in front of you and say, oh, God, five minutes. And, you know, that seems like forever. But now then, I've walked in my secret place with God and prayed and worshiped and everything and come out and three or four hours have gone by. And I think, wow, where did it go? I was locked up with a king. I was loving him, worshiping him. And time, you lost it. It didn't mean nothing to you no more. You're not worried about time. But if you spend that time with him and worship him and praise him and do what Jesus did, then Jesus says, your unbelief will go away. Through fasting and prayer, unbelief goes away. You know, I was a member of a Baptist church for 65 years. And you know how many fasts we've done in that church? None. I never heard the word. You know, I, when I heard somebody say fast, I thought, fast, what does that mean? And I said, oh, I know what that is. They misspelled it, and they left the E out. In, in a Baptist church, well, not just a Baptist church. I'm laughing because I was a Baptist, but I don't know what you were. But I don't care what kind of church you're in. I've been to Catholic churches, Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Assembly of God churches. And if there's one thing these girls do, they know how to feast. No fasting. But feasting, they can bring the groceries, and we can eat good. 
I mean, I went down to, uh, to uh, toward the Longview the other day in pre center church, and those women brought stuff. My lands, you would not believe the stuff they brought on them tables. There were probably 50 people, and there's enough stuff to feed 100. Yeah, we, we feast good. Yes. But if I say, guys, we're going to go out for a weekend this weekend. We're going to go to the lake, and we're going to really have a ball. Okay, man, 20 guys comes, and they show up. We go out to the cabin, we get out there, and somebody says, where's the food? I said, well, here. Sermon, that's only a bottle of water. Yeah, we're going to, three days we're going to stay out here and fast and pray. Now, if you got them there and you got the keys and you got all the doors locked and there ain't nobody else, you might keep them there for three days. But if you tell them in advance... We're going to go to the lake, guys, into a cabin I've rented, and we're going to take no food. Just bring your water and your Bible. We're going to spend three days locked up with God, fast, and pray. You know how many men's going to show up? Only, if they are, they're going to be dedicated men. You know how many men show up on a deal like that to go with me usually? One or two. The rest of them ain't coming. You mean you're going to go out there and do nothing but read the Word and fast and pray for three days? Yeah. I can't do that, Thurman. You don't know why we don't have no power in the church. We got it. We don't do it God's way. Jesus said this kind of unbelief only goes away by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. Is that what the king said? Praying all day. Reading the word. What are you doing? What are you communicating with God? Are you just reading the Bible all all day? Well, sometimes I'm just talking to him. What what is what does you do when you're praying? Do you have to have certain no 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 prayer and repeat it, or do you say, are you uh, take one section of the Bible and just go over and over and over, and that's prayer? Yep. Sometimes I may sit there and read for one hour, two hour, thirty minutes, fifteen minutes. I don't never know. And I may just come to something that will trigger me, and I'll just stop, and I'll praise him and worship him, thank him and talk to him. It may take five minutes, or it may take five hours. You never know. When you get in the Spirit with God, you never know what he's going to do. I mean, you may be sitting there, and then all of a sudden you may fall asleep. It may be 2 o'clock in the morning. You don't know. I never. I don't, I don't even keep time when I go do this kind of thing. I may be sitting there. And all of a sudden, I may just pass out. And he may give me the most awesome dream or vision. He speaks to us in dreams and visions. Usually visions he'll give you when you're awake. But asleep, he'll talk to you in dreams. He'll hide, he'll show hidden things to you in dreams if you'll ask him. If you have a dream, man, get him, write it down. You know, I have dreams every once in a while I don't understand. I still remember them in detail. I had one this last week. I don't understand this at all. I have no idea. I walked into a place of business with a twenty-two pistol on my hip. You know, I hadn't picked up a twenty-two pistol since I was a kid. But I walked into a place of business, and I looked down, and it was cocked. And so I gently pulled it out and turned around and, you know, pointed out toward the door and held the trigger and pulled the thing down and left the hammer down. And put it back in there. And then I asked the man for what I wanted. And I got it. And people standing around watching me. And I turned and walked out. A guy walked out and said, what are you doing that gun on? I said, I don't know. I really didn't know. 
But I said, I, I, I don't know, but it's there. So I got out and got in my car and went home, took the gun off, took it inside and put it in the closet. And I'm out there in the yard doing something. And this was in a strange house. Obviously, it was mine. I was in a strange house. And all of a sudden, this man that had been in the, and a police officer showed up. And he said, we want your gun. I said, you want my gun? And all of a sudden, the dream's gone. I thought, I woke up and thought, what's this about? I still don't know. have no idea. But I remember the dream, and I remember it vividly. Obviously, it's got some kind of a meaning, but I don't know what it means. I've had lots of dreams. Everybody in here dreams. I don't care who you are. Everybody dreams, and probably every one of you dream every night. I don't think anybody can go to sleep. Did you know even animals dream? But you will dream every night. Now, the dreams you'll dream either come from two places, God or the devil. One of the two, God or the devil. God reveals things to us. He reveals our sin to us. And many times we don't yield to what he's trying to show us. He's trying to show us something's wrong. He says in his word, he dreams us and scares us with dreams to get our attention. And we won't listen. All that's in the word. Just dig it out. Read the Bible. You'll find it. It's amazing. But he tries to warn us. He's awesome. But when we come to this new covenant, he says, you will repent of your sins. I will be faithful and just and forgive all of your sins. Isn't that awesome? So he said, then after you repent, he says, walk holy in obedience to my word. And then he promises that he'll do certain things for us. That's just like the other day. I was with a tremendous man of God. I just met him. But I found out real quick, he really loved God. And he told me, he said, you said something to one of the young men at work for me the other day that I don't agree with. I said, what's that? He said, that young man came to me and said, you, he was talking to you, and he, you and him were talking about things that you were sharing Jesus with him. And you told him that you had a ministry, and you taught people what's called sin and how to get healed. I said, yes, sir. He heard me right. That's true. I do. He said, but the boy said that you said all sickness and disease comes from sin. And he said, I don't believe that. Well, okay. But I said, you know, God promises in his word to heal us. He said, only if it's his will. I said, okay, let me quote you a verse. And I want you to look this verse up. In James chapter 5, verses 14, 15, I want you to look that up. And how many of you know this book is God's will? It is his last will and testament. This is the only will in the world that was written by a man, and then he died so that it could become a reality, and then he come back to life to watch over to make sure it works. He's the only one that ever done that. Isn't that strange? Ain't nobody else ever done that, have they? But he did. James 5, 14 and 15, I want you to read that and hear that. I want you to see this is a guarantee from God. But you've got to believe him. James 5, 14, 15, and 16, but read it and see if you think that is a promise from God. I mean, you know, or maybe you follow along as I quote it. James 5, 14, 15, and 16, think about this. Is any sick among you? Is that what it says? So who does that include? He's talking to who? The church. 
Is any sick among you? Well, there shouldn't be any sick among us as Christians, but evidently there is some sick. I used to be sick, and I was a Christian. I had lots of sickness and disease over a lot of years. Why? Because I didn't know the book. I didn't know how to walk in faith. But since I've learned how to walk in faith, the last 20-something years of my life has been a wonderful place to walk. I mean, it's awesome to be 67 years old and don't even have to worry about being sick. I ain't had no cold nothing over 20 years. I just believe the book. You know? He said, I could do it. Finally, one day, I just made a decision. I'm believing you, God, instead of everything everybody else says. And I'm receiving you as my healer, and I ain't never going to be sick again. And I received that by faith. I ain't never been sick again. I mean, the Word declares it. But he says there, if you don't know these things, and if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders. Is that what he said? Yes. Now then, it says, let him call the elders. Now, the first thing I've learned over my life, you want to be careful who these elders are. You don't just make, you don't just go pick a bunch of, and I don't care if you're in a church that's got elders, deacons, or whatever they are. You need to be very careful who those men are you pray for you. And, and the, the number one, my request, if I was going to have men pray for me, I would want to know what kind of organizations besides the church those men belong to. And if they belong to anything, Besides the church, I don't want them to pray for me. I don't want them to pray for me. I don't want you to put nothing. I don't care if it's a Lions Club. I don't care who it is. But if you're a member of other organizations, I do not want you to pray for me. I want you to be totally dedicated to this book in the church. Now, that's my own preference. Let's find very many people like that in a church. Don't belong to something. Well, I don't. Here's one. There's another right there. Me, I should go to church. You got three. Okay. Okay, we got several. But yeah. if you go to church, you count the men there, and you'd find out there probably not one of them that doesn't belong to some organization or something. Okay, well then I have to go find me some men somewhere else. Yeah, I ain't. I, ain't, I mean. Start looking for churches in there. How many are going to go? I don't know, but I think it's going to be a whole bunch of them. But there's got to be some men out there that are dedicated. So there's some out there. I know they are, because here's one. I've, I've made my, the Lord my life years ago, and I've been a deacon, served as a deacon many years, and I didn't belong to nothing but the church. And I think that's one reason God answered my prayer in such a powerful way, because he's done that for me. I mean, I've seen hundreds of healings, and mir- I mean, I've seen hundreds of miracles now and thousands of healings. So, you know, the, what I'm teaching you is what the Word says. So it says, there is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. So be careful about the elders. It says, and let them anoint you with all. Now, that's not too difficult. I don't care what kind of oil you use, you know, motor oil, cooking oil, you know, olive oil. It don't make no difference. Just oil. Anything at all. I anointed a guy one day. I couldn't find nothing. They didn't have no cooking oil. Now, I went out and pulled a dipstick out of my car. Wiped a little of that oil up, put it back, went back in, and anointed them with a dipstick oil, and they got healed. <laughs> you know, so he said, anoint with oil. So, I mean, God, you know, yeah, I mean, you do with anything. You know, oil is oil, you know. Yeah, that's right. And, that's, and the brother, that's what I normally try to use is olive oil. That's what I use. But if you ain't got it, he said, anoint them with oil. Didn't he not? Oh, right. Anoint them with oil. And then he says, and the prayer of faith. I'm doing this out of dedication to the Lord. He said, anoint with oil. And he didn't say what kind of oil. No, he didn't. 
Yeah, use castor oil. Use anything you want to as oil because it's not going to be the oil that's going to do it. That's a matter of just being obedient right. to the word. Right, that's right. You're just being obedient. The king's going to heal them. Then he says, in the prayer of faith, if you've been a good boy, maybe sometimes we'll heal you. Is that what he said? No. What did he say? The prayer of faith will do what? Shall. Shall. Save the sick. And the Lord shall raise you up. Is that a guarantee from God? Absolutely. I mean, if you don't believe that's a guarantee, you know, when I quote that, just like I did to this man the other day, I said, sir, that's a guarantee from God. He said, but you know, but maybe it's not his will to heal you every time. I said, sir, you ain't never going to get nobody healed. You don't believe the covenant. You don't believe that. See, he says the prayer of faith will do what? He'll raise save the sick. I mean, you know, maybe I'm not far out there in the left field, but to me, if God said this through the apostle James, I think he meant what he said. Yes. Then he says, on down through there, he says the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now then, where are you going to find a righteous man? Are you, are you a man? Are you a son of God? Are you the righteousness of God in Christ? Well, I mean, if the Word said it, it says because of what Jesus did, I mean, I, when you look at me, I said, hey, are you righteous? You said, better say, I guarantee I'm righteous. They said, why do you say you're righteous? I said, because Jesus said I was. Right. Now, if the blood of Jesus is not good enough to make me the righteousness of God in Christ, like it said, then I just reached up and slapped Jesus in the face. I'm, oh, I'm just an unworthy sinner, God. He said, how dare you call yourself an unworthy sinner? I sent my son down there, and he died for you, and you accepted him and his blood. And through the grace of God, I have now made you, through what he done, the righteousness of God in Christ. So you need to straighten your act up and walk holy before me, and you need to see yourself as one of my sons. Right. When you see yourself as a son of God, somebody says, can you pray the prayer of faith for me? He said, guarantee I can pray the prayer of faith for you. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, and I'll pray a fervent prayer. And I'll pray for you. And it says in the fervent prayers, oh, it don't avail nothing. Oh. So that means we, if we pray, we pray fervently. It's got to be done, right? Right. So then the king said it. And you say, hey, praise God, it's done. I know it's you with all. You're healed. I mean, if you believe it, who's got to ask to do that? You have. The very first time I saw a man miraculously healed, I, and it wasn't, I, I, I still say it was miraculous, I was a deacon in a Baptist church, and this guy had stage four lymphoma terminal cancer. And that's after it already opened him up, looked into him, and found out there was no hope for him. And he's 42, I believe it was, 40 or 42 years old. Stage four lymphoma terminal cancer. Doctor says, there's nothing we can do. It's over. We took that verse. Anointed him with oil. Of course, I went to him. What would you do if you go to a guy that's just been given a diagnosis? You've got a few weeks to live. And you're a Christian. And I take that verse over and say, I have a word from God for you. And then I read those three verses. Do you think I have a word from God to him? Am I on safe ground? I can't be wrong, can I? But the man turns to me and says, I don't believe that. What do you do with that? I mean, if he don't believe it. 
If he don't believe God will do what he said he'd do, guess what God ain't going to do? He ain't going to heal him. So he's back in the hospital. You go again. They're pumping his lungs. And you tell him, look, look, this is what God says. Well, Thurman, I want God's will to be done, but I don't know what it is. Hey, I mean, here it is. Is that true? Right. If this book is forever settled in heaven and can't be modified, can't be edited, you know, can't be changed, all these things I'm quoting here are scripture. They're written in the Word. Never wrong. God can't lie. Titus 1, 2. Then why don't we believe him? But he wouldn't. And I had to go three times. The third time, finally, I said, you know, you take those three verses, you read them out loud over and over and over and over until faith comes. It finally did. And we went, and that's the first time I'd ever saw this done. A deacon at Baptist Church, Lakeland Baptist Church, Dr. Uh, ben Smith. I love that guy with all my heart. Great man of God. He wasn't there that night. We couldn't find him. Well, just a bunch of us old deacons. We met there that night. I called a bunch of men, told them to come meet us there. We took that verse and we anointed this man with oil and prayed the prayer of faith over him. And we all walked out of there. Two hours later, didn't see a single thing happen. Ed was just as weak as he was and we went in there. I had virtually no faith back in those days. Just a teeny little bit. How much did he say while ago I needed? Only a mustard seed side. I mean, that's a little bitty one. You know, I just think if I could just have, if I could move a mountain with a mustard seed, think what you and me could do with a thimble full of that stuff. Right, that's what we need, isn't it, brother? And if we could get that pure seed and we could get a teacup, one of them big type, you know, them kind of like you see people driving down the road, big cup full of that faith. Would you like to have that kind of faith? I would. I would. But we prayed over this guy 20 years ago, 1986. And God started healing this man. And it took him six months to heal him. But he got completely well. And that's been 20 years ago. And he still don't have no cancer ever again in his body. 20 years ago, the man's still alive and well today. But 20 years ago, doctor said he's going to be dead in a few days. Were the elders you brought over? Were they... Oh, without having some other organization that they belong to, and is that what slowed it down, maybe? Well, now I can now look back at that situation and know some of those men belong to some organization. Yes, sir. That could be it. You know, I never thought about that. But I know all those men, and I still know them today. And now I can look back, and I had never thought about what he just said. But I can look back now knowing that some of those men definitely belong to other organizations. Now, did that slow it down? I don't know. But God was ultimately in charge, and he was watching over what he had taught me to do, and he was bringing me to a new level of faith. In fact, he didn't heal him instantly for probably many reasons. And I've made this statement lots of times when I tell this kind of jokingly. Here we are, a bunch of Baptist deacons. We ain't never done this before. Never, ever, ever. And if God had instantly healed Ed that night and made him completely, totally well, we'd had at least 28 heart attacks to take care of, you know. I mean, Harry, that's terrible. But, you know, I mean, you were without faith one time, right? 
You know, just like I do, you know, we didn't, we didn't look, grow up to have great faith overnight, did we? It took years, you know, seeing God do all these wonderful things. But every time you pray over somebody and you see these things get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, finally, it's like there was a little girl at church just a, two or three Sundays ago. And she come up for prayer and she's crying. I mean, I don't know how old this girl is, probably 30s. But she's crying. She's in pain. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, I just, I'm hurting so bad. I'm on all these drugs. Well, Ty, he, he's my associate pastor, and he's a doctor. So he said, what kind of medicine are you on? And so she began to tell him. He said, well, that'll do this. And then she said, well, they give me this. And he said, oh, my gosh. That, he said, you know, you're, that's your problem. He said, they give you this to do this and this to do this. And they're fighting against each other. And said, she said, well, I've got to have the stuff. The pain is awful. I said, what pain? She said, my back. I said, what's wrong with your back? I reached around and laid my hand on her back, and she's got two discs sticking out back there. I said, you don't have to suffer that. I said, Jesus is a healer. All you need to do is repent of your sins. And I said, I'll pray the prayer of faith for you, and he'll put them discs right back in place. What do you say I could ask for? See, we don't believe that. So she said, Lord, I repent. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, put them discs back in her back. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. And both them discs just were smooth right with her back, just like that. I thought, wow, this is awesome, Lord. I said, your pain's gone. She stood there a minute, and she moved around a little bit, and she said, I don't have any pain. So then I asked the Lord to all the drugs she had in her body to neutralize them, take them all away. And in five or ten minutes with this girl, she's laughing, and she's no longer crying. She's under pain. And I said, isn't Jesus wonderful? I reached around and slapped her in the back. <laughs> she said, oh, my gosh, that would have killed me. She said, I didn't, I didn't hardly feel that. I said, no, honey. I said, Jesus does great work. I reached around and slapped her harder. <gasps> she said, I really am healed. <laughs> I said, yeah, I really am healed. The king. I mean, see, he does it. We still don't believe him. He does it. We still don't believe. What did the king say? There was a big problem while ago in Matthew 17. What was the problem, boys? Unbelief. If we're walking, do you think God wants good things for His children? Yes. Yeah, but just like Ed said there a while ago, He don't. We can't ask for the lottery. You know, He don't. I mean, God don't want you to go out and gamble. That's gambling. He don't want you to do that. But he wants you to live the abundant, good, healthy life, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, it's what, and he made us all these promises, and he tells us, now, get in my word and believe it. And, of course, I didn't realize for years when we prayed that prayer. In fact, I went down to uh, College Station and, and I taught in a Catholic church years ago. And when I got through teaching, the guy said, you know, Thurman? He said, we have prayed for the sick and anointed the sick for years in this church, and he said, to this day, we've never seen one person healed. But he said, after today, I know why. I said, why? He said, I've never seen that scripture that you quoted in James 1, chapter 6. James 1, chapter 6 and 7. I want you to turn and read that and see what happens if you don't ask in faith. See, he said, this is the way we prayed when somebody would get sick and they come here, we anoint them with oil. The first thing I would do as a pastor, I said, now God, if it be your will, I'm going to anoint this person. And if it be your will, I ask you to heal this person. He said, I've never seen a person healed. Never. He said, I don't know why. James chapter 1, 6 and 7 says, 
but let him ask in faith. How much wavering, brother? Nothing. No doubting. Not a little. I mean, after all, you know why the king you know why the king has those kind of requirements? Because he's only the king, right? He's only God. He is God, the king of the universe. Now, we don't have a problem when it's most of us that are Christians. Some of us do. And God said, let there be an earth, and, and there it was. Some people said, no, it couldn't possibly have been like that. You know. Isn't that amazing? We don't have no faith. You know, when you, re- when you stop and think about this a second, just like he told Job. Job did I have to ask you when I laid the foundations of the earth. Well, let me tell you, I've laid some foundations of some mighty big buildings across this country. But let me tell you, if you were to tell me, okay, Thurman, there's you in eons of eternity out there. Build me an earth and put it out there. And hang it on nothing. That's right. Give me a break. I wouldn't know where to start. Would you? No. But did he do that? Yes, he did. And he put this magnificent thing out there, and he put it, he first put this little ball out here. It's only about 72, 7,500 miles straight through. 25 miles down, which is nothing. That's a small, teeny percentage of the total thickness of the earth, and it's dirt and rock. And then 25 miles down, this thing is molten, red, white, hot, molten material. All the way through. Did you know you're on a rock that hot? Thousands of degrees. Hot, hot, hot. And every once in a while, we'll have a crack somewhere, and that stuff will come up. And it comes blowing out as a volcano. But that's what everything looks like 25 miles down, all the way through to the other side. That's what it is. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, hotter and hotter. And this little ball... He said, well, I need it to spin. So he gave it a little twist. Now, it turns at 1,003 miles an hour. So it will make one revolution every 24 hours and zero seconds. And it don't never change. Every, does it some days get shorter than others? No, they're 24 hours and zero seconds. You can set your atomic clock by it. And he gave it one little spin years ago, and he keeps it spinning all through these eons of thousands of years. Then he says, I need to give this little baseball a little toss. I'm going to put a little curve on it here. I need it to go forward so that it'll twist exactly at the right places so that it makes this loop around the sun that I put out there with a magnetic pull on it so it'll hold it exactly. 96 million miles away is where I need it so that the speed I push it forward it'll go exactly around and it'll never pull into the sun or it'll never go away from it. It'll always make that arc and it'll make it perfect and I only need it to go 69,700 miles an hour forward speed to make that happen. So we're going pretty swift, aren't we? Only 70,000 miles an hour forward, approximately. Not bad, huh? And it takes 365 and a quarter days at 70,000 miles an hour to make that trip once a year. And he made that and put us on it. And he's doing that every day. And he sustained, oh, and by the way, he put that little moon out there and flipped it just exactly right so you never see but one side of it. Only one side. You never see the back side. Isn't that awesome? And then he said, oh, by the way, for my children, 
Now, this moon's real close. It's only 248,000 miles away, and it's just right next door. But the sun is 96 million miles away. But he said, oh, by the way, I think I'll make a few stars out there for my kids. And that's all he said in the Word, one line. And he made all the stars also. And the closest one at the speed of light. Now, the speed of light, <clears throat> if you could shoot a bullet forward and it could travel at the speed of light and stay with the contour of the earth, if you were to pull the trigger and say 1,001, it would have made seven and a half revolutions around the world in one second. One second. That's pretty fast, isn't it? But if you straighten that out and fly for four years, four years, you could get to the first star. That's how close, or that's how far away the first one is. Four years at that speed. And there's trillions of them out there. And he maintains those with his word every day. You think he'd have a problem healing your body? No? All you got to do is repent of your sins and believe him. Now, over there in James 5.14 where he said he'd heal you, but in James 1.6 and 7, he said, you must ask in faith nothing wavering. Why should you waver if you have a king that's that powerful. And he can't lie. Can't lie. So it's up to you and me to stand on his promises, right? If we stand on his promises, what does the king have to do? What he promised. But he wants to do what he promised. That's the thing. But he's a faith God. I think about this woman that I know that her little child drowned and they rescued it and time they rescued it, it was pretty bad shape and she went to the hospital and begged God please Lord just let him live and guess what he just lived he was a vegetable for about seven or eight years it caused his daddy to literally lose his mind and become an alcoholic it separated the family and then I remember the woman standing up in front of the church I was a member of the church after he destroyed her marriage, destroyed her family, her baby finally died. She said, I made a tremendous mistake. I should have just said, God, go ahead and take the child. And it would have probably saved my marriage and my husband. I didn't know any better. I thought, you know, she's probably right. But now with what I know about the Word, I now know she done everything wrong. Everything wrong. Had no knowledge of the Word. No knowledge of the promises, but go to church every Sunday. Bible studies, her and her husband both. Did they know anything about the book? No. Just like me. I didn't either. But I began to read this book in detail. Changed my life forever. I began to realize, as sons of God, I don't have to ask him for anything. Everything he has has already been given to me. Did he say that? Yes. Everything. But... If he gives me this Lexus over here, this airplane over here, and this motorcycle over here, and this ski-doo over here, and this big giant boat over here, and a big yacht over here, what can I do with them if I don't know how to use them? Nothing. Is it going to take time to make those things usable? Oh, yeah. Some gifts take more time than others. Some more than others. But if you get in that book and say, Lord, I'm going to take these gifts one at a time. I'm going to take this new Jaguar you just give me over here. It's got all these buttons, and I'm going to get somebody to teach me all about this until I know everything in this car. 
what you can do and places you can go in that new Jaguar. But without training, you might learn how to drive it, but you will never use all. That's just like VCRs. When VCRs come out, you know, of course, me being an engineer, I've had a lot of people. I say, I say, I've got to watch my favorite program tonight on TV. Good Christian show. I said, well, record it on your television. you got to record it. Well, I can put a tape in and let it play, but I don't know how to do nothing else. I said, you keep recording the show? No, I don't know how to. I never did read the book. I hear they got a piece of equipment sitting in front of them that will do all kinds of stuff, and they never even read the book, and they don't, don't even know how to program a VCR. Now, I won't ask you all to hold up your hand how many of you can't program a VCR. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but you see what we can do if we will study. But we don't want to study. We want to be lazy. Right. We want somebody else to do it for us. And that's the way it is with the Word. Thurman, you study the Word. You learn it. Then I'll come to the healing school and you get in the heal. Then I go back and I do what I want to do. No, it don't work like that. You've got to get with God, and you've got to make Him the Most High God your dwelling place. You've got to spend time with Him, because guess who is not the healer? I am not the healer. I have never healed nobody ever. I will never take no credit. All I get to do is teach you what the Word says and build your faith, and you stand, and I get to pray the prayer of faith for you, and now I get to see Jesus do the rest. And that's wonderful. When He starts doing those things for you, you must realize you must be pleasing him a little. Because if you're praying the prayer of faith for people and they're listening to his word and they're receiving it and they're going out and praying like Sharon right here. I mean, Sharon got healed a couple, two or three years ago at a healing school and this girl has caught on fire. And I have no idea how many people she's prayed for everywhere. I mean, God has answered that woman's prayers. It may, I mean, it's, but you know what this girl did after she got healed in a healing school? She comes to the one in Dallas. She drives all the way out here to one out here. She comes to the Tuesday night Bible study. This girl comes to church on Sunday, and she's in the Word all the time during the week. Now, is she being obedient to the Word? Absolutely. She has just locked a hold of Jesus, and she said, Lord, i got a hold of you, and I ain't turning you loose. And as long as she don't turn him loose, and she holds him hugged up there close, the king loves to be attached to his little daughter. He loves it. And when he's attached to his little son or his little daughter, and you're being very intimate with him in the Word, and you're loving on him, reading his Word, telling him, man, would you love him and praise him? He's just sitting there waiting. You just ask me for something, and I'll do it for you. And that's wonderful when you get to where you can ask him for those kind of things and see him do those kind of things. He's no respecter of persons. Every one of us that are in here that are Christians, we should be able to get our healing from the Lord because he literally says we can ask him for anything. But just like Ed Brock, when I prayed the prayer of faith for Ed, or we all prayed the prayer of faith for him, it was 28 of us guys, and we prayed for two hours and anointed him with oil. It took Ed six months to get healed. Six months. But Dave Rosenfeld, it took Dave Rosenfeld over a year and a half to get healed. Dave had an incurable disease all of his life, born with it. It was a generational curse, and it had been in his family for years. So the demons were very powerful. I explained that to him. I said, Dave, I don't may take a month, six weeks, two months, three months. I don't know. I said, but those are powerful demons, and you're going to have to personalize the word. But I didn't know it was going to take a year and a half. And that's where most of us missed it. 
You know, at the, just like at a year when he was in such terrible shape, his feet looked like a leper's feet. He could hardly wear clothes at a year. He came to me and said, Thurman, it doesn't appear to be working. See, but you don't go by what you see. You go by it is written. I even had people from my own church come up to him and say, Dave, I have a doctor in Dallas. You look awful. I have a doctor in Dallas that I have great faith in. Why don't you go to him? He'd already been to the finest doctors. He knew there was no cure. He says, I have faith in my God too and his name, my, my physician, and his name is Jesus, and I'm standing on his word with no doubt in my heart. Taking me a year and a half, didn't it, Sharon? We all watched him go through that. We all saw what he looked like. But today you can just walk in a room and say, Jesus! And Dave jumps up and says, praise God! You know, we've sick for 42 years, incurable disease, and now you're totally healed? Hey, you can praise God! Amen. You know, now see, what if he'd have stopped in a year? He'd have probably died because he was in really bad shape at a year. Well, see, we don't want nobody to have to go that long. I asked Dave, I said, Dave, why do you think it took you a year and a half? He said, it was my quiet time with God. I didn't have enough of it. He said, toward the end, I began to really ask God, God, why is this taking so long? And he and I talked, and God revealed this to him. You're not personalizing the word, the promises that I've done for you. What do you mean personalize? I said, put your name. Instead of saying, I tell you, say, I, Dave Rosenfeld. These things belong to Dave Rosenfeld. These things belong to Thurman. These things belong to Jack, Susie. They're mine. Read them out loud. Read them to the Lord. Lord, you said, if I, that's Thurman, if I stand on these words, these promises, you'll do this for me. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you. It's done. Praise him and worship him and spend time with him. Get in his word. And I said, he will heal you and raise you up. I think about that guy that here a while back, I was over at Hillcrest. Great, big, beautiful church over there in North Dallas. I was over there one day teaching, and a man came up to me after the teaching, and he said, you know, I used to wear glasses this thick. He said, I got a hold of these promises you teach, especially at Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus said, I can have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart. He said, Lord, I want to thank you for that beautiful, clear, Sharp eyes, up close and far away. Because Mark eleven twenty three says, I can have whatever I say with my mouth, but I believe with my heart. He said, I started saying that. And I just say it out loud. I said, Lord, thank you for my clear, sharp eyes. Somebody say, boy, them glasses sure are thick you wear. He said, yeah, but they're going to be clear and sharp without them. So he kept saying it, saying it. He said, I said that for months and months and months. And it just became kind of like a ritual with me. Get up in the morning, can't see a thing, you know. Thank you, Lord, for these beautiful, clear, sharp eyes. Put them glasses on. Lord, thank you that I can see perfect without these glasses in the name of Jesus. Driving down the road. He said, one day I'm driving down the road, just driving down the road. He said, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes with no glasses in the name of Jesus. And he said, the Lord spoke to me. It says, son, when you said it at that time, you finally believed it. I heard a voice. Lord, I do believe that, he said. He said, well, then take your glasses off. So he said, I wheeled over the side road and stopped. He said, I jerked him glasses off and looked out. that said, I couldn't see nothing. Nothing. I said, Lord, 
Thank you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes in the name of Jesus. And he said, Thurman, everything just became crystal clear in front of my eyes. He said, I ain't never wore glasses again to this day. I said, how many times did you say it? He said, thousands. Does the word work? Yes. You know what's wrong with us? We're a bunch of wimps. That's what's wrong with us. We say it three times. If it don't happen, well, it's not God's will. And you just lost it, didn't you? The Lord said, you didn't believe me. But Lord, I said it a hundred times and it didn't work. Let me ask you a question. Who was the guy that invented the electric light? Edison? Did he make it the first time? The 50th time? The 100th time? In fact, the little heifer was with him one day. He said, Mr. Edison, do you realize we have tried a thousand things to make a light bulb and none of them have worked? It's not going to work. He said, no, son, we just know a thousand things that don't work. (laughs) Did he give up? No. Obviously, he didn't, did he? And what if that man had given up on 999? What if he'd give up on a thousand? Still no lights. I don't know how many times he did do it, but he stayed with it until he found something that worked. So see, what do we do? Oh, we are a bunch of wimps. Well, Lord, I, I spent 10 minutes a day with you. You know, I read one verse a day, maybe a chapter a day. God, what do you want? He said, I want you to diligently pursue me and make me first that's what he said isn't it he said that so if you diligently pursue God and put him first in everything you do and make him the most high God your dwelling place then these promises will become a reality to you and they will work for you I mean he promised it didn't he just like he said you know how many people go out and say well I don't know what I'm going to do in life I sure probably, well, what did you do? No, I could never do that. Guess what? You can't do that. Somebody says, I want to become an airplane pilot. I can do that. Why do you think you can do that? Because Jesus said, whatever I say with my mouth, I believe it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be one of the best airline pilots they ever had. If you believe that, guess what you're going to be? You're going to be one of the best. Somebody says, well, I only got faith to be a cook in a restaurant, but I'm going to be the best cook they ever had. Guess what? You're going to make a fortune because you're going to be the best cook they ever had. That is providing you're a child of God, serving the Lord. There's a man that I know. The reason I said that, this man needed a job. I asked him, what do you do? He said, I'm a cook. I said, well, you need to really get with Jesus. You need to put him first. He said, I I can't keep a job. I said, that's your problem. You say, I can't keep a job. I said, I want you to start saying, Lord, I'm going to, I am the best cook in the world because you're in me. Ain't nobody cook better than me. And I can keep a job. I'm going to be the best. It wasn't long. This guy, we found a place that needed a cook. We called him and asked him if he'd go out and turn in his application. He did. They hired him. And you know what? The people that hired him have said to us, where has this guy been all of our life? Wow. Said he is a working motor scooter. I mean, this guy runs around this place, cooks, fixes anything, and said he's got the most beautiful, pleasant attitude all the time. Why? He's the son of God, and he knows he's going to be the best cook there was. I told him, you say, 
I am the best cook and I can keep that job and I'm going to, Lord's going to bless me abundantly in this job. You know, in fact, the people hired you said, man, we, we don't pay him enough. We're going to have to pay him more money. Isn't that amazing? Is that the name of the game? Making more money. You need more money to be blessed so you can be a blessing to others. God can bless your socks off. I don't care what you do if you'll just do it and put him first at what you do. You can't fail. I don't care what you put your hands to. Nothing will be a gamble in life if you'll put God first. Nothing. It'll prosper. You can be a cook. You can be a mechanic. You can be a doctor. And did you know, I know doctors today that make three and four and five hundred thousand a year and they can't make it from payday to payday. I know some of those people. But yet I know people that's making five hundred dollars a week that's got money running out their ears. Going to church, tithing, and they're blessed in everything they do. You know what the difference is? One of them's serving God, one of them's not. That's the difference. If you want to get healed, you're going to have to believe these promises. You're going to have to believe God's Word. He's given us the promises, folks. They're in there, aren't they? Yes. They're in the Word. So all we've got to do is walk in obedience, obey Him, and then do something in faith. When you do something in faith, hey, you get people to repent of their sins, stand on the Word, and then you say, it's done. That's just like when I talked to this guy up here in Louisville here a while back. This guy had, for 28 years, had had a back injury. He got his back broken as a 14-year-old boy in high school. And he's now 38 years old. Yeah, was it 38? 24 years, I guess, something, what it was. He had been down with his back, 38-year-old young man. He was going for surgery. I met him at a day of prayer over in Flower Mound. I was asked to come speak to the city council that day. And he was there. And he was going for surgery. He had been checked out four or five doctors. They said they could help him, but they couldn't get rid of his pain. He would still have pain. He had never had surgery. I walked up to him. I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, yeah. He sang a beautiful Christian song. I said, if you believe God, he'll heal you. He says, sir, I believe God. I said, where do you go to church? He said, Lakeland Baptist Church. I said, what do you do over there? He said, I sing in the choir. He said, that's why I put off this surgery so long, because where my, my problem is my neck back here, they're going to go in through the front. And he said, to do it, they said, it may run or damage my vocal cords, and I, it may damage my speech. I might not even be able to talk. I said, wow. I said, you know, sir, Jesus promised to heal you. He said, what? I said, yeah. Matthew 18, 19. Matthew 18, 19. He said, God promised to heal him? I said, yeah. I said, all you got to do is repent of your sins or unbelief. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Is that an awesome promise? Yes. So I said, I'll pray the prayer of faith for you. And if you'll believe with me, I guarantee the king will heal you. He said, sir, I ain't never heard nobody say, God, you would guarantee it. I said, well, Jesus said it. So if I don't guarantee it, then I'm in unbelief. Right. And I'm in sin. I said, guarantee it. He'll do it. So I prayed the prayer of faith for him. 
And I said, how are you feeling? He said, I don't feel no different. It still hurts as bad as it ever did. I said, you go home and worship and praise God and thank him all evening for your healing and that I am healed. Lord, it's written in your word. You said two of us agree, me and Thurman agree. I guarantee I'm healed because it's written in this book. And the next morning, that guy called me hysterical. He woke up the next morning for the first time in 24 years without a pain in his back. That boy has told that testimony at Lakeland. He's given it to everybody up and down the halls. He's been down to my church. I got it on CD, everything else. I am completely healed. After 24 years of pain, no pain, does God's Word really work? All he had to do is believe it. See, all he had to do is do what I told him. Go home, praise God. Thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Does he still got the pain? Oh, yeah. But the Word says he's healed, doesn't it? Thank you, Lord, I'm healed. It's done. Praise God, I don't have no pain. Somebody said, man, are you crazy? No, 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 no. The Word says. The Word says two of us agree it's done. And when's the manifestation going to occur? I don't know. That's just like Philip. That works for me now. I told Philip 11 years ago. I said, if we'll pray that prayer of faith around that same thing, and I'm going to guarantee you God's going to take every wart and every scar off of your body as an 11-year-old boy. Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about what? Anything you ask me, I will do it for you. But now I got to believe that with no doubt in my heart. So I told him and his mother and everybody, I said, I guarantee you, in a few days, or maybe a few weeks, or whatever, I don't know what the time frame will be, but I will guarantee you Jesus will take every wart off of your body and every scar off of your body where you've had them things burned off. And he had them all over him. And in three weeks, Philip had no warts, and in fourth week, he had no scars. And today, that boy is 22 years old. He works for us, and in fact, he duplicated those CDs you're taking back there, and his wife done the tapes. That's who's making them for me right now. And Philip and Krista are on fire for Jesus. Love the Lord with all their heart. Isn't that amazing? But who made us these promises? The king of the universe. But he said, when you ask me for something, you must ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. The Lord asks you to heal this man on this verse. Oh, God, if it's your will, will you please do this? And I pray, and after she walks, says, oh, I hope God was listening. Maybe he'll, oh, if he don't do this for me, I'm in such pain. Forget it. it ain't, you ain't going to get nothing. It ain't going to happen. When you're prayed for, you need to praise him and worship him. Say, Lord, you said it. I've renounced all my sins. I'm squeaky clean. Praise God. It's done because it's written in the Word. Whether it takes one minute, one day, one week, or one month, your confession needs to be the Word. Right. And if your confession is the Word, it will happen for you. Your faith is agreement. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. I guarantee. You know, I, I'm, I'm telling you, folks, I am grateful to the King for the faith He's let, allowed me to build up to. Because well, a few years ago, I didn't have any faith. I said I had faith, but I didn't know what it meant. But now then, I had zero down here, and here's the, here's the peak, and I'm somewhere right along down here, I guess. I don't know. Jesus, no, you're too high. Okay, Lord, maybe I'm right here. Well, I want to get up yonder, don't you, brother? That's where we want to get. Well, how do we get there? He says, faith comes by hearing, believing the Word, standing on it. You know, when you get to pray, the, when you finally get to the faith level, 
where you can pray for all them boys I prayed for at Bill Gothard's ministries and seen every one of them get healed instantly too, by the way. I know God did that for Bill to kind of build his faith. But I was so grateful that all them boys were healed. And then the other day when I prayed for Dr. Gary Young out there in Salt Lake City, Utah, God instantly healed him with a crushed, broken back. When I went down to Manny, Louisiana three years ago and prayed for that uh, Johnny Brumfield, I give you names for these people so you check it out. Johnny Brumfield, came, he was a guy that come to that little church. He was a Baptist, but he came over there and he had steel braces on his legs. And 21 months before, a big tree had fell across a tractor and crushed both of his knees. That done surgery on him, but they said, you ain't never going to walk again. And he hadn't for 21 months. But they brought him to church that night, and I prayed the prayer of faith for him. And then I asked him, I said, do you believe God? He said, I do. I said, then take that steel off, and let's stand up and walk. you got to do something. He took the steel off, and he bent his legs, and it hurt. And I reached there and grabbed his hand and jerked him up. When he stood up, he said, oh, 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 my legs hurt. I said, I know they're going to hurt, but I said, don't believe that devil. I give him a jerk, and I said, come on, walk in the name of Jesus. He took one step, I jerked him again, he took another, I jerked him again, he took a third, and I said, you're on your own. And in two minutes, the guy was screaming, running up and down the aisles of the church, screaming, God is awesome. If you got faith and you believe the king, what will he do? Exactly what he said he'd do. Exactly what he said. But if he'd have stood up and said, oh, sir, oh, sir, my legs hurt, I can't get, I can't stand. But back then, he'd still be in that wheelchair. But he didn't. He believed God. He, was, he resisted the works of the devil. And he stood. And I get to think, boy, you talk about a humbling thing to think when you get to pray for somebody like that and see them jump up and run. Lord, I got to pray that prayer for that guy. Wow, I got to see you do this. You talk about something. I mean, is it, that won't humble you? Wow. Think that God will allow you to pray a prayer and see him do something like that? Woo. It's, it's wild. Don't we love to see God do those kind of things? Man. Oh, wouldn't all of us, oh, Lord, and, and I want to get to the point where, I, you know what, I, I would love to be able to go to Children's Medical and, and uh, uh, Cooks or Dallas and all them little kids that got no arms and no legs nor whatever that were born like that because of their parents' sins. I'd like to walk in there so clean and pure to God that I could walk over and lay my hands on those little children and say, Father, give him a new leg. Or bring that arm that's crooked around, but bring it around straight and make it whole. Or that no ears or no eyes or what. Lord, make him whole in the name of Jesus and just see that little child. Make him completely whole. That's what's available to us if we can meet, that we can exceed that unbelief level. Because can't. Yes, yes, Brother Ian. No, no. Yes, sir, I know a pastor today. I know this guy. And when he was here in this area, going to school, seminary, and he was working in a hospital, and there was a little boy there that was about 10. And they had to keep him locked up because he was constantly beating himself and everything. And he was taking care of this little guy. And, and one day he was in that room, he said, Lord, I would do anything, anything to get this boy healed. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, are you serious? He said, yes, Lord. He said, 14 days 
of prayer and fasting. First three days, no water. And the next, after the fourth day on, you can drink water only. But no, you lock yourself up with me and get in my word and talk to me and worship me and praise me. For 14 days, no food or no water for the first three days. And then after the, the third day, the fourth day, you start drinking water only. So then you'll have the power. And he went home and canceled everything. And he got on his face before God. And he got that book out. And at the, the beginning of the fourth day, the Lord spoke to him again. He said, okay, I told you now you can have water. So he said, I, start, I hadn't drank a drop of water till that fourth day. He said, it didn't take it until the Lord told me. So I started t drinking water. At the end of the 14th day, the Lord says, now you have the power. He said, I went down there, and I walked in there, Stevie. Stevie, he's a, like a mongoloid. You know, he, they have to keep him strapped with a deal. He'll beat himself in the face. If you turn his arms loose, he's always pounding himself in the face. His face is just destroyed. You could put this little kid, he said, in a straitjacket, and he'd walk in, he'd get on the floor like this. He'd fall face first and bust his nose against the floor. Blood just gush out. It was a demon. But his heart went out to him. Lord, I'll do anything. And the Lord said, really? You serious? So he was. And he spent that 14 days praying and fasting for that boy. One little boy. He didn't even hardly know, except he met him in that hospital. I walked in that hospital room, he said. He said, I walked in there. I'm standing there. And he said, there's Stevie standing there. And he said, I didn't. All of a sudden, my hand went up. And he said, I said, in the name of Jesus. I command you to come out of him. And he said, it was the most awesome thing I ever saw. He said, the most, he said, the little boy just went backwards against the wall, just slammed against the wall. And he said, the most foul odor I've ever smelt in my life came out of that boy. He said, I've never smelt anything smelt that bad. So the little boy just collapsed. He said, I went over there and I said, are you okay? And he said, the little boy looked up at me and said, who are you? And the little boy was completely delivered and fully recovered and has become a normal young man. But let me tell you, that man now is a man of God. In fact, here a while back, he went over to a foreign country. I can't, it's a strange name and I can't remember his name. Uh, it's, it's, he's a... I forget what descent. He's not, a, not an American. I think he's from India. I think. His name starts with an M, but I always have trouble pr pronouncing his name. But anyway, he said he was in Africa here a while back and speaking, had hundreds or bunches of people, and said there was a woman came up totally blind. And she said, I want to have my sight back. So he said, I laid my hands on her, rebuked the devil, commanded that devil to come out of her in the name of Jesus. So the woman literally fell on the floor under the power of God. And I thought, boy, she'll give her sight back. So I prayed for other people. Finally, she got up in a few minutes. I went over and said, can you see? She said, no. Okay. So the next night, he said, I was there for seven nights. And said, every night that woman came up for prayer. Every night. He said, every night the same thing happened. But she could never see See, after we did it once, it don't work. We give up. He did it seven days in a row. The seven nights she come up, he says, good grief. I don't know. What's this woman coming up here for? He said, I've done everything I know to do. But he laid his hands on her the seventh night. 
rebuked the devil. She fell onto the floor. It's the only thing they have during every time. So, but she got up this time screaming, I can see, I can see. Since she could see perfect. So on the airplane back to the States, he said, I'm, I said, Lord, I don't understand why your word didn't work the first six times. He said, oh, son, it worked every time. What do you mean, Lord? I prayed for her six times. It didn't do nothing. He said, no, you didn't see what was going on in the spirit world. He said, the demon that had her eyes blinded had seven tentacles wrapped around her eyes. Every time you rebuked the devil, one of them came off. Until when the seventh one came off the seventh night, that's when she could see. But said, my word worked every time. It might have done it right there. I don't know. See, Ed, that's why the Lord says the fervent prayer of a righteous man. The fervent prayers. You know what we do? Oh, God, I lay hands on this guy. Be healed in the name of Jesus. You healed yet? No, well, I guess it wasn't God's will to heal you. Let me go to the next one. No, it's God's will every time to heal us. If we'll repent of our sins, it's his will to heal us. And if we don't get the manifestation right then, just like with Ed 20 years ago, we prayed the prayer of faith, and it just stood with him for six months, and he got healed. But Dave Rosenfeld took over a year and a half. So what, what happens? You don't never give up. Now, how do we like to see it happen? Is that the way we like it? That's the way we want it. I mean, we are the only race of people that's ever lived that can pull into a fast food place and turn in the order on the menu deal and drive around the window and knock on the window and say, where's my food? Now, see, back in the days, if you come visit me back a thousand years ago, and I say, oh, son, go out and bring us one of them steers up here and let's kill him and let's have the fatted calf for supper tonight. Or go out and kill us a couple of chickens and bring them up. And you think, you mean we got to go kill it and fix it and then cook it to have dinner? Forget it. I'll starve to death about that time. No, you won't starve to death. But see, that's the way they used to have to do it, right? Right. We used to come home a lot of times in the afternoon, and Mom would send me out there and take the hook, catch me a couple of them little pullets, bring them up to twist their heads off, you know, take them over, dip them in some water, and pick all the feathers out and take them, and Mom cut them all up. We have fried chicken for supper that night. Right. Any of you guys ever done that before? Yeah. Sure, I'm sure lots of you have. <laughs> but you know how we do it today? We put the chicken in the water before we leave. And it's thawed out. We get home. It's time for supper. We dunk it out and throw it in the deal. And about three minutes, it's cooked. Yeah, it's what? Chicken on the run. That's right. And then that's too quick. Mom, the, the son said, Mom, hurry up. Hurry up, Mom. I'm starving to death. i got to have some supper. Y'all know what I mean. Hey, God says you need patience. Oh, yeah, yeah that. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, whenever they told the, uh, Nathan to go up that uh, had the leprosy, take him up and dip him in a river. Seven times. You know, I mean, just think, the little guy, he said, I want this prophet to heal me. And he said, he said, but master, if this guy had told you to go out and win some big battle or do something great, you'd have been happy to do that for him. But he asked you to humble yourself and go down and dip in the Jordan seven times. He said, that dirty, nasty Jordan, he said, I could have got the river here. I could have been cleaned over in one of our rivers over in River Jordan. Why not need to come over here? Because God told you to do it that way. 
Let's go do it. Okay. Goes down under the water and he comes up and says, see there, I ain't healed yet. He says, I already said dip seven times. Dips him down. He goes, see, I'm still not healed. He said, sir, he said seven times. Can you think about this little guy? Think. Comes up six times. See, nothing's happened. He said, sir, seven times. Okay, we do it one more time. Goes down, he comes up. Ah! He's clean, he's healed. Hey, maybe we need to start doing that, right, Ed? We need to take these examples and say, God, we know it's your will to heal us. We pray the prayer of faith, and if we don't get it instantly, then we keep praying diligently until the answer comes. Don't never give up, right? Right. Never. Who's that, sir? Gary Young. I, man, I don't know. I mean, here he is, a doctor with a crushed back. You know, you know who is in total control of the universe? Jesus. I prayed the prayer of faith for him, but I prayed the prayer of faith based around Mark eleven twenty three, and I guaranteed him he would get a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus. That was my exact words to him. I said, Lord, thank you for your word. Now, since I guaranteed him he'd get a supernatural healing from the king, what Mark eleven twenty three say you could have? Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart. And guess what God did for him? instantaneously, in one second, healed that broken back. And I'm going to tell you, one of the guys that goes to my church was up in Toronto, or somewhere in Canada, the other day, at a meeting he was giving, and he said he was there, and Dr. Gary Young had the...